The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagne, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Here we go! Listening to the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Emerald Flow Show. We are a podcast on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Paul Fulch, and as you might have figured out already, normally it would be the Delta Tones of one Gerard Trollio greeting you here at the beginning of the show. Unfortunately, uh, Gerard is a bit busy at the moment, uh, so he wasn't able to make it to the recording. So instead I thought, you know what, Uh, we've already had some experience with some excellent guest hosts. So I immediately reached out to uh, one of our recent guests, actually, to invite him back onto the show after rave reviews for his first appearance on the show. So I would like to welcome back to the show one Andrew Sinclair. Hello, thank you for having me. It's excited to to be back and talk all things uh, Noah and all Japan. Although uh, I'll let you do the the Gleet stuff on your own, Paul, because I feel like that's a it's a cathartic thing that you need to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe yeah, we'll see we'll see about that. But yes, there is an absolute boatload of stuff we have to cover. There is so many different topics, as Andrew's already touched upon. We will even talk about a bit of Gleet. Uh, 
not as positive as I would have wanted to be, but uh, it's going to be something. I think there's actually going to be a lot of ranting going on uh, on the show, um, because I think let's just go straight into the first topic, which I think will also be the cause for some rants, and that is what happened to one Kaito Kiyomiya in the G1 Climax of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, if for some reason you're not aware, Kaito Kiyomiya is participating in this year's G1 Climax in New Japan, which is why he's not in the N1, because he specifically said that he wanted to focus on the G1. And also recently, just a few days ago, New Japan wrapped up the block uh, part of the tournament, where Kaito Kiyomiya was still in play uh, in on the final block night. There were many different scenarios being brought up, such as, for example, him going to a decision match with Shota Umino if they both win on the final block night, which would have caused them to create an unbreakable tie and would have most likely caused a decision match. Now, unfortunately, that is not what happened. So basically, the scenario in the final block night was that Hikuleo was winning in, and Hikuleo indeed won on the final block night, but that didn't even matter because... Kaito Kiyomiya lost on the final block night to Renarita, which meant that he was eliminated from the G1 Climax, making him yet again even more of a geek than we really possibly thought he really could have been. He goes to the G1 with all of this big hype, with all of this big thing about like, yeah, I'm going there, I'm going to represent, no, I'm going to represent the ARC going to get revenge on Kazuchika Okada. That's also, I would like to say, what New Japan specifically also built all of, like, Kaito's material around in the lead-up to the show as well, uh, in the lead-up to the tournament as well. Because I've seen kind of thrown around that, like, yes, obviously, it's not New Japan's business to properly protect Kaito Kiyomiya. Like, he's not that guy, he's not signed to them. Like, he can basically, like, if they want to bury him and kind of damage their relationship with Noah potentially, like, that's their prerogative. It's their show. So they can they can book it really however they like. And it really would have been up to Pro Wrestling Noah to really, like, properly push against Kaito being geeked out in the tournament. And, I mean, as we can kind of see, they don't, probably don't really care that much about Kaito, and that's why they didn't really protect him here. Now... Where we'll push back against that a little bit is that normally if an outsider comes into a tournament like this, they don't really have an established story in the promotion. Well, Kaito entered the, store, entered the tournament with an established story, and that is the fact that he wanted to get revenge on Okada. And again, that's how New Japan sold his involvement in the tournament as well. Like That's what all of his material was about. So... New Japan using that to build him up for the tournament and then ultimately refusing to even get him remotely close to fulfilling that story is on them. It's not on them to protect him in the booking. What is on them is telling a bad story, and I think New Japan told a bad story here. So really, this is kind of a scenario where everyone lost. I think New Japan lost on a potentially money-drawing match on them against Okada, in Kaito versus Okada. Uh, Kaito obviously lost because he looks like even more of a geek now. Noah lost because, well, they just had one of the like young and up-and-coming guys, like a former champ, former two-time champion, former two-time tournament winner, 
not even advance out of the block in New Japan. And we as the viewers lost out as well because we lost a potentially really great match of the year contender in said Kaito vs. Okada. And instead we got like the Nepo baby and Hikoleo advancing out of the block, which really is just about the worst case scenario there. So, yeah, I don't know. Just for me, just a complete failure all around. I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, Andrew? Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think I had assumed that he was going through the block at the start because my assumption was he's only going to be in the tournament if it's to set up the Okada match. Um, because then they can run a second singles match, probably in the semifinals. Kaito can win that. And then you've got the opportunity to do a third match at the Dome, which I think would be really cool. Or Kaito can go off that, probably losing in the final of the, the G1, and he goes back to Noah feeling invigorated and all that stuff, and certainly feeling more of a serious guy and less of the, the geek that he has come across as in Noah for quite a while. And in the end, it's just not worked out. It, you know, it started out really well, you know, two wins and then the time limit draw with Shota Umino in his third match. And you're like, right, OK, five points. Second in the block behind Sonada, who obviously eventually went 7-0. and And you thought, OK, you know, Kaito is being well looked after here. He beat Suji on the first night. Like, he looks like he's, uh, you know, going to be respected as a top guy in the block. And then he never won again. You know, lost to Hikuleo. Uh, lost to Sonada, which, you know, I thought the Sonada match was really, really good. Um Went to the time limit draw with Gabe Kidd. Well, not time limit draw, sorry, the, the double count out with Gabe Kidd. And then, yeah, lost on the the final night to Ren Narita. Um, the work was good. You know, like he, I think, pound for pound, was one of the best workers in the tournament. Uh, it's no surprise, really, because he's, you know, one of the most talented guys in the world. Um, but, yeah, they made him look like an absolute dork. He lost all of his tiebreakers. There's no big match coming out of it. And to me, the way it worked out, I think you can lay that at the foot of Noah, lay that at their door, because that's your guy. That's your ace, your future. And you've basically sent him off to be jobbed out. And it's like, why has that happened? Is that because they don't care, which is feasibly... True, because of the way he's been treated for years, or is it because he's going and they didn't care? So they were like, you know, New Japan can have him. It creates some intrigue around their tournament, but he's leaving anyway. So, you know, we might as well, you know, let him stink up the joint in their tournament or whatever, and they get the blame rather than him being in the N1 and maybe doing a bunch of jobs. So I don't know, but that's the thing I suppose that will make it even worse is if he's not leaving Noah to go to WWE, which seems like the, the thing that's in play, and he just goes back to Noah after having a, a dreadful G1 and being made to look like an absolute dork, he's actually in a worse position in terms of, you know, from a kayfabe point of view than he was before. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's it looks bad on New Japan. It looks bad on Noah. It looks bad on him. And I guess that means he's going into an early retirement because he's probably going to the WWE. So, yeah, no, I mean I agree as well. Like I mean, you kind of brought it up already. Like, like if he's leaving, so but if he's leaving and I'm Noah, then I actually would 
want him even more to be in the N1 this year. Because I would just drop him out. Like, maybe I wouldn't drop him out to, like, everyone. I wouldn't have him go, like, get zero points. But I would, like, like I don't know, like, I would look at, like, let's say, like, A block. I'd, I'll take out, like, like I don't know, like, an Adam Brooks, maybe. Or, like, like as much as I like him, but, like, a Thatcher maybe isn't necessarily essential in there, even if he's a champion. Uh, like, I would take someone, basically. And I would then, like, drop him out to, like, Inamora, I would drop him out to Morris. I would have him lose again to Jake and hope that maybe like it helps Jake at least a little bit more or whatever. Or you put him in B block. Like whatever like there's so many things you can do where basically I would just use him to like put over a bunch of guys on the way out. Because really if he's leaving then like Noah isn't helped by him being like losing in the G one. Like if anything that just hurts the perception of Noah. You know, mm-hmm. because it's just like you just yeah. sent a guy over, and he was just like kind of there. Yeah, they essentially made him New Japan's problem and not theirs. But yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's not on New Japan to to book him strongly. You know, yeah. they got him in; it ups the quality of their field. And to be honest, they probably needed it given some of the incredibly poor workers that have been in the tournament. <coughs> Tangalawa. Um. But really, they just used him to elevate the guys that they see as their kind of future future pieces of the puzzle in, you know, the Three Musketeers and Hikuleo. So, in many ways, New Japan have, have got a great return out of it without having to basically job out a bunch of their guys to someone from a rival promotion. And I don't know if you, you saw the Block B final, but Kevin Kelly on commentary absolutely buried Kaito and buried Noah in uh, one of the prelim tags when it was Kaito teaming with Oiwa, mm-hmm. I think it was, against Duki and Sanada. He just absolutely buried them and basically was just like, you know, it was the whole calling wrestling as a sport thing. It was basically, he was their top guy. He was their top star. He's come here and he couldn't compete and he wasn't even that hard a block. So, yeah, it was so strange. So strange that it ended the way we did. I think especially as everybody had sort of worked themselves into a shoot that it was going to be the Kiyomiya-Umino decision match. Um, the fact it didn't happen obviously provoked a large reaction. But yeah, Because that would have been a very entertaining it. thing, right? Like, like the reason people worked themselves into a shoot because it's like something that New Japan doesn't really ever do. So it would have been like, something interesting and new which is something that new japan very much did throughout this tournament so yeah with them just going exactly. with like bad luck folly 2.0 is disappointing yeah and also you know it would have elevated umino because i think his work has improved tremendously over the last six mm-hmm. months and you know he would have already had the time limit draw so it, you know if he'd then gone on to lose in a, in a longer form decision match it wouldn't have hurt him because his credibility had already risen. Um, so, yeah, very strange. Yeah. Very, very strange. And I I don't know, the Kevin Kelly thing, obviously, you know, the commentary, there's obviously a directive to say certain things. And he obviously has, knows what's going on and all that kind of thing. And I don't know, it seemed a bit too on the nose for me. Like, I know Chris Charlton tried to rein him in a bit, but it seemed a bit too pointed. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to imagine a scenario where Noah were like, oh, you can have him. And then there was no directive about the booking. I mean, that might legitimately be the case. That's the thing. Yeah. That yeah, seems well, to be exactly, the thing that's where what they I like, mean. legitimately were just like, yeah, yeah, sure, here he is, whatever. Because that's what I mean. That's the worst case scenario. Because if he's not leaving and you just let him to go to New Japan to kind of strengthen business ties between the two of you, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, you don't have to put him through the block. Like, surely, as a if you want, you know, in theory, a promotional partner, or however you want to term it, you would want him to go out the block. Yeah. You know, I know the AEW-New Japan relationship is different. Eddie Kingston might not go out of his block, but he's got the strong title. So there's obviously continuity of the booking there. Whereas with Kaito, it was just like, oh, seemingly just a shrug. Like, as long as he's not bottom, it doesn't matter. And Kingston also so, yeah. didn't have, like, an established story there that no, would have made exactly. sense as well. Like, for example, like, there wasn't, like, something... Like, okay, like, I they were never going to do, like, him versus Kenta in, like, a semi-final. Like, that's not happening. No, exactly. Um, and it just basically makes Kiyomiya look like a loser, which I didn't think it was possible for him to look <laughs> any less cool than he did before. Well, <laughs> well, in that case, Andrew, I don't know if you've seen... Pro, pro Wrestling Noah has kind of changed their YouTube thumbnails recently to be a lot more clickbaity, I think, is really like the easiest way of saying this. And on the same day, Kaito Kiyomiya was eliminated from the G1, Noah uploaded to the uh, English language YouTube channel a video about Yuma Anzai, who is in the N1, entitled The Hope of Japan, Yuma Anzai, which I have to say, like, Noah just, in a way, just immediately buried Kaito even more than I think New Japan even did by just having him go out in the dream on in this way. Because you have this young guy under contract, right? Like, he's been a two-time champion. He's still, like, 27 or whatever he is now. And here's this guy from a rival promotion that, yes, you have a close Russian relationship with. That is it. But that just happens to be in your tournament. But you just label him as the hope of Japan, just... I don't know, just immediately just, like, making Kaito look like such old news, basically. Yeah, and the fact Anzai's still literally a rookie. Yes. He's literally been doing this professionally for 11 months. And you're like, here's the new shiny toy. He still wears black trunks. The other guy <laughs> who looks like Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, he can get in the bin. Um, yeah, bizarre. I saw the woman who, um, she's on the Japanese commentary for Noah. Is it Rina? Yeah. Um, she said that Yuma Anzai was her favourite as well. And I was like, yep, there he is, the heartthrob. There he is, front and centre, Kaito, in the bin. Goodbye. <laughs> I hope you enjoy your retirement at the performance centre. Because yeah. oh, that's, that's got to be where this is going. I mean, right? the that's whole... like the best case scenario at this point. Yeah, he's carrying Muto's bags. Doesn't go because he's concussed. But like, that's definitely what that was for. Yeah was, you know, old Kaiji doing him one last favour. You know, he'd already, you know, beaten him several times to put him over. And then he gave him the Shining Wizard and made him look like an absolute noob. And now he gets to follow in the the lineage of all the other Japanese wrestlers who've had tremendous success in the Mm -hmm. WWE because they are totally respected and not treated as caricatures and a joke. But never mind. That's a rant for another day. And I mean, also especially ones that, I mean, let's face it, like, 
a lot of the stuff on like Kaito getting pushed, like Chitter's on like the promotions, but like it's on him as well, right? Like you can see, just doesn't seem to have that personality that just pushes back against this kind of stuff, which means that he's like 110% the wrong person to go to WWE. Mm-hmm. If they know that they can push you around, they will, and they will do it even worse than Noah ever did. Yep. Exactly, because you're not going to get pushed harder than, you know, you look at what they're bringing through in NXT. I don't like it. I think the product's terrible. But, like, you're not going to be pushed harder or to the same level as a Bron Breaker or, you know, the guys that are coming through that NXT system because, like, they've never demonstrated any inclination to do that. You'll end up, at best, you'll end up like Nakamura, but he's not at the level of Nakamura, so he's going to be further down the totem pole. And then it's like, okay, well, you're just another guy. Whereas if you were at home and you had more of a backbone, you could have been something. Um, But, yeah, just it's just not a great look all round. And I think if he goes back to Noah now... I think it undermines him if you immediately try and push him as a top guy because it's like, well, clearly not. So, yeah. like that's actually okay. Let's just go on that real quick as well because I kind of wanted to touch on that after we talked about the show, but I think let's talk about that now because you want to know my absolute worst case scenario for the like outcome of the N one. So, okay, my absolute worst outcome out of the N one is Jake Lee wins and then Kaito reappears and challenges for the title and wins. Like, that just yeah. makes Loa look like such a, like, bottom, like, like third-rate promotion. Because here's this guy who just lost all of his, like, tiebreakers, too. Like, he literally finished, like, he's the last guy out of the ones with six points. Like, he finished just ahead of like Chase Owens. Yeah. And that guy now comes into your promotion, challenges the guy who just beat everyone in your big tournament, and then he beats that guy. That just makes your entire roster look like shit. Yeah. And it also means that basically the last by the time he'd actually challenged, the last seven months have basically been a complete waste of time for everybody involved because yeah. Jake's had a bunch of matches with the old guard that haven't drawn. And Kaito's dicked about not doing a lot, went to the G1, got treated like a twat, and then he comes back and then we're back to where we were when he beat Jack Morris in February. And it's like, great. (laughs) All the good work that Nakajima, Go, Keno, my boy, Dr. Wagner. It's just like, oh, good. Here comes Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat again. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that is the worst case scenario. And in many ways, I think that's the worst case scenario for all involved. Because yeah. if he is going back to Noah full time, it's like, right, well, now you are genuinely in a worse position than you were before. Whereas yeah. at least if he's leaving, it's like, okay, well, fine. You're winding him down. But, yeah, not good. Not good. Especially when Noah, Noah needs all the help they can get based on the uh, attendance of this first N1 show. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, like just real quick, and then I think we'll need to move on. Uh, I think the one thing you can do if you if he does return, if he if he isn't leaving, is you kind of have to turn and heal. Like mm. you have to do something, right? Because clearly, what you're doing right now isn't working. So you have to do something, and I feel like 
I don't know if he could be a good heal. I don't think so. Like, there's nothing really show me that he could be. But you know what? He would be the first guy where, like, you thought, I don't think this guy could ever be a great... Like, for example, like, right, like, Park. Everyone always thought, like, oh, yeah, this guy's just a baby face. There's no way he could be a good heal. And then he turned heal once and he never turned face again because he's so good at it. So, yeah. who knows? Maybe he has it somewhere hidden in him. Maybe try that, but that's about the only thing he can do if he's not leaving. Yeah, like a Noah House of Torture with uh, Kaito as a heel at the top and a new faction. Because I know you and Gerard last time were talking about kind of the absence of factions mm -hmm. in Noah. So maybe that's what we need is like a a greasy shitbag heel yeah. faction led by babyface Kaito as the bad guy. Heavyweight stinger. He already teamed that's with exactly them loads. Like, so actually it doesn't. Maybe that's it. Question, maybe yeah. that's it. There you go. We solved it. <laughs> oh God. Okay, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see about that. Okay, but let's real quick touch on the uh, before we get to the N one show. Uh, Nua, no, Nua, Noah, uh, announced a uh, junior tag title uh, contender tournament, where uh, actually on the show on the ninth uh, and on the show of the tenth, uh, we're going to have the first round matches, which are Yohei and Tarasuke versus Shuji Kondo and Seiki Yoshioka. And then on the 10th, we have uh, Kotoge and uh, High69 versus Amaksa and Junta Miyawaki. Then the winner of those matches will face off on the 11th. And then the winner of that match will challenge Rich Ray and Daga on the N1 final show. So I, I actually like the teams that they've put in here. I think all of those matches, I think, have potential to be actually be pretty fun but i also don't really have a good feeling for like who is actually going to emerge out of the tournament as challengers no so all four were involved in the basically the non-tournament matches on the opening night of the n1 yeah so i don't know whether conventional booking wisdom is that the way it went on the opening night is the opposite way to the way it's going to go in the tournament so in essence, Yohei and Tadasuke lost on the 6th, so they probably win on the 9th, and they face Amaksa and Junta Miyawaki. Um, but I did notice that in the post-match comments after the opening night, Amaksa basically called Junta Miyawaki a loser. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. And he basically was like, you don't show... I'm, I'm very, very paraphrasing here, but it was basically like you don't show the right levels of fighting spirit and enthusiasm and all that stuff. And although you've looked better recently, I still don't really like teaming with you. So maybe in the future, you know, the next time we face each other, it should be in a singles match. So you, you would assume that means they're probably going to lose. Maybe. But I don't know, what, I don't know whether they're going to do like a can they coexist type thing. Um, But... Yeah, I don't know. In many ways, it would be really annoying if Johan Tadaske win, and it's literally like they lost the <laughs> titles. You've run this tournament, and then you go back to the same yeah. match again. Um, I don't know. My, I guess my pick is that they, they go with um, High 69 and Katoge because obviously High 69 left Congo, and he mm -hmm. kind of went on that trial series against everyone. So it kind of seemed like they were trying to do something different with him. And obviously, Kotogo is a, what, 12-time GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Champion. So um, I guess they're the ones I would go for because I think they feel the most different and the most interesting. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. Maybe the Amakusa Miyawaki thing's a red herring, and it's like Miyawaki pulls his finger out and stops being punished for <clears throat> misdemeanors overseas. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we shall see. But okay, so let's get into the uh, first night of the N1 Victory 2023 from uh, on the 6th of August uh, from the Yokohama Budokan in front of 804 fans. That number is bad, like really bad. This is less than what Noah drew there with 50% COVID capacity restrictions. Yep. It's 500 people less than what they drew in March for Jake Lee versus Kaito Kiyomiya. Like just an absolutely abysmal number. Yeah, and it's so there have been eight shows this year in the Yokohama Budokan, and this is seventh of eight for attendance. And I think eight out of eight was like a random stardom show, like night six of a tour. Um, but it's over a thousand less than Big Japan drew <laughs> for the um. Yuya Aoki title win against Okabayashi, mm -hmm. which admittedly is still my match of the year, but it's also Big Japan, yeah. who will put in 400 people in Korokan. So this is a really, really bad number. And as you say, it's about 150 less than last year's opening night of the N1 when you had COVID restrictions and it was Go Shiyazaki against Kaz Fujita in the main event. And it's like, I struggle to believe that there was that much more quality in last year's field, you know, with Masakatsu Funaki and Anthony Green than there is in this year's that, you know, 150 less people are like, oh, I'm not really that interested in going. Um, yeah, it's a really, really bad number. And, I mean, Jake Lee's not a draw. But no. <laughs> there's no more, no more evidence of that. You know, well, we don't need any more evidence of that, should I say. But, yeah, not a good number. And is it Knights 2, 3 and 4 that are in Corican? Which they sold out a few weeks yeah. ago for Nakajima Miyahara. But I suspect that they won't be doing that anytime soon. Yeah, so. no, I, I also don't have a feeling that, that, that they're going to be able to, like, repeat that. Uh, yeah, so the next night, uh, the next two nights aren't, actually the next three nights aren't Corican. So the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th, so they're doing a triple shot on Corican. Yeah, and these are all, they're all slightly smaller nights, aren't they? Because you've got that tag tournament we just spoke about, because you've got the semi-night one, semi-night two, and then the final is on the third night, which is the, you know, the one with one of my pencil matches of the tournament, Shiyazaki against Ohi Hotel Dr. Wagner Jr. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, it's just dreadful. And the thing was, I was watching the show, and uh, so I watched Nakajima Sawyer on my phone, on the Wrestle Universe app mm. on my phone, so I didn't really pay that much attention to the crowd or whatever, but mm. then I watched the rest of it, uh, cast it to the TV, and my first observation was, it's really, really dark. Yes. And I was like, is this the Noah thing where it's really, really dark because there's no one there? And then there were a couple of matches where there was, like, no crowd noise at all. Like, they reacted to nothing. And then they did, like, a wide shot 
on the entrances for one of the matches later on. And there was like, there were, they, they kind of focused on two people in a row. And then there was just like a sea of empty seats behind them. And I was like, oh, yeah, the lights are down because there's no one here. And then when I finished watching the show, uh, I looked on Cage Match to see what the attendance was. And I was like, oh, that's not a good number at all. <laughs> um, yeah, bad. And the lack of crowd noise. Um, I said this to you before we started recording. I think the lack of crowd noise kind of hurt this show for me because a lot of the matches were introducing you to people, establishing people, establishing moves or whatever, okay. not necessarily going hammer and tongs to have great matches up and down the card, which is fine. You know, in a tournament, you, you obviously have to tell kind of different stories and give everyone credibility, but it just meant that everything kind of felt like this one condensed mass of the same. Like it was very hard to distinguish between like, yeah, that was a three-star match. Yeah, that was a three-and-a-quarter-star match. That was a three-star It very made it very hard to really think, okay, that was... Nothing stood out. And I think part of that is is because of that kind of lack of crowd reaction, lack of crowd noise, but also just the atmosphere because it was so dark and all you could see was the ring. And then every match kind of had a very similar structure of initial exchange in the ring, go to the outside, someone gets hurled into the guardrail, outside exchanges, and then get back in the ring for kind of the, the middle portion and the closing stretch. It just sort of, it it felt, I guess slog's a bit strong, but it, it all felt quite monotonous in many ways. Um, never peaked super high, but also never peaked really low either. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, obviously, story-wise, obviously everything's going to develop as the tournament goes on, but that lack of atmosphere is going to be a real passion killer, I think. I mean, there was one match that had good crowd, and I think there might be a reason why you might have missed that, but let's just quickly go over the results. So, like, uh, in the first match, Shuji Kondo, Seiki Yoshioka, and Stallion Rogers defeat Anthony Green, Yohei, and Tarasuke. Uh, after Kondo hit a King Kong Lariat on Tarasuke. Perfectly good opener, as you said, might have set up some stuff for the junior tag title tournament. But yeah, the one thing I was like thinking about while watching this was like, why isn't Anthony Green in the N1? Because he was in it last year, he's arguably more over now. And he's still booked for the tour, so you're still paying him. So you still flew him in and all of that, but you're not having him in the tournament. It's just a weird decision. Yeah, I don't know, because obviously last year he came in as the mate good for, for Tim Thatcher. And obviously he did them as solid. So it's kind of that kind of Kip Sabian, AEW, Chase Owens, New Japan, where like you've got a job for life type thing because you did them as solid. So it, it does feel weird that he's got shafted, but I guess they wanted to try and bring in some different faces like a an Adam Brooks or a Lance Anawai. And Green's just kind of a, a bottom of the card guy um because obviously him in theory him and jack morris are the two secondary heavyweights in good looking guys but obviously morris is like he's not far off that main event picture now yeah uh, he feels like a real deal established guy and i think maybe put him and green in the tournament i don't know one drags down the other i'm not sure but um i guess my only thought on this match was that they seem to be 
teasing like a singles match for later in the tour between Green and Stallion Rogers because like they stared each other down mm-hmm. after the match for like a, a long an awkwardly long amount of time. So my guess is that that's probably going to get chucked in at some point where they're going to fight each other. Um, which will be a fun little undercard thing. I think my main kind of thought about this was it was nice because I think the G1 shows was literally just eight singles matches. You kind of needed something to break them up. Yeah. So like out of the gate, having like a six and a half minute quick six man tag was really fun. And then obviously we had another one later in the show, which was a little bit longer and obviously involved Kaz Fujita. So I wasn't a big fan, but it still broke everything up because then by the time Daiki and Albert and El Hijo, Dr. Wagner Jr. came out, I was like, okay, I'm ready now for another four singles matches. So um, that was a nice thing. And obviously with the tag tournament and stuff, they're going to continue having that variety as the tour goes on. So uh, as a viewer, and I suppose as a critic, it made it easier from that perspective as a whole. But it's just, as I said, the action you did get kind of coalesced into one blob. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so... And we're kicking off the tournament properly uh, with the Block B, where Manabu Soya defeats Katsuhiko Nakajima in 40 minutes and 40 seconds with, uh, 40 seconds, uh, with a jumping DDT. So I went uh, four and a quarter stars on this match. I thought this was amazing. Uh, this is, I mean, easily the best match of the night. Just great action throughout. Just really, like, like... Sawyer was such a great underdog here, just like, which really you wouldn't think when you look at the size of these two men, but like Nakajima is such, such a great bully where like he just beat up Sawyer and you just like Sawyer just had so much heart, he just like kept refusing to go down and then eventually he actually overcomes Nakajima and gets his victory and this is, this actually here was the crowd was really good in this match actually. The crowd was so hot for Manabu Soya. Like, they were, like, just... Like, he had them in the palm of his hand. Like, he just really peaked the match at just the right moment. And that crowd just went absolutely ballistic when he got the victory. So, I I agree with you, Andrew, that, like, for the rest of the night, the crowd was bad. But they were great here. Like, they were really, really good here. So, to me, this was, like, a thing where, like, if you give them something, if you give the crowd something, they're going to react to it. And... Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, for me, just great match, and I thought we were in maybe for like a really, really good night. But unfortunately, this was already like the peak. But let's see. Like I, I think Sawyer. I, I've been talking about Keno having being kind of underrated, like this year a bit. I think Sawyer is even more underrated. Like he, like I think this might be his best year. Like I'm trying to think like of previous years. He was really good. Or if he had like a year in Wrestle One where he, like, he had like performances here and there, like every year, like where he was really good. But I don't think I've ever seen him be consistently this good throughout the entire year. No, I mean, I, I would go on record and actually put this in the or a variation of this in the N One previews that you know you and I split up for Voice of the Wrestling. That I've never been a huge Manabu Sawyer guy, but this year. He has been fantastic. Um, he obviously he was, you know, really decent in the Champion Carnival, but the tag work with Keno 
was fantastic. And the way I saw it was, you know, he was the one who was most upset by the end of, you know, Congo. So I kind of saw this tournament as being very story-driven for him. Uh, he obviously then won the weird Royal Rumble thing they did the night before, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of made me think, eh, maybe I read it a little bit wrong and they're going to kind of push him in a different direction. But he was so good here. Both of them were. Like this, this match was brilliant. It starts with Sawyer basically trying to bull rush Nakajima out the gate you know, because he's mad that he left mm-hmm. Congo and, and you know, maybe he blames him for ending and he tries to rush him out the gate and basically Nakajima gets to the outside, moves out the way and Sawyer impales himself on the guardrail and from then on, Nakajima, it was like he was playing with his food. Like, he beat the stuffing out of him, he kicked, you know, vicious, vicious kicks mm-hmm. but like there was never any real urgency from Nakajima. It was like, well, he obviously offers me no threat so... I'm just going to enjoy beating him up. Uh, and he, he landed that really vicious, like, PK to the ribs on the ground. And Sawyer's rolling around in the crowd, as you say. They were good for this one, and they were really into Sawyer. And, yeah, he just pulls off this incredible, you know, white meat babyface comeback. Um, he, that fireman's carry into the, the knee lift that he did, uh, which I thought Mark Pickering did a really great job on, on commentary, pointing out that, like, that was a move he'd never hit before. And that kind of was his opening in the end to, to put Nakajima away with a huge lariat and then the, the DDT. But, yeah, that match was rocking and rolling. It was fantastic. And Sawyer feels like a made guy now. Like, he feels he can go on to do something. I don't know what that is. But it's certainly the most interesting he's felt to me in Noah. Um, maybe he's winning the whole thing because his gear is the exact same colour scheme as all the N1 posters this year with the orange and the blue. So That's maybe true. Manabu had the, the memo ahead of everybody else. I mean, um, maybe. But yeah, th- this was great. I went four stars flat on this. Um, but I just thought it was fantastic. And yeah, kind of kind of subverted what I thought because I thought Nakajima would kind of be the one who ran out to a really good start and then maybe got pulled back and then lost to Shiazaki on the last night and, you know, Go would have a slow start, but we'll get into they kind of went the other way with, with Nakajima being maybe too cocky and getting caught out by his cockiness against, you know, a plucky underdog and Shiazaki actually being really cerebral and, and dominant in his first match. So maybe they're going to go a slightly different way with it. But yeah, this was a fantastic opener. And maybe set the bar a little bit too high for the rest of the <laughs> night, given the way that the rest of the matches were structured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we go to then to the next uh, tournament match, which was in Block A. Jack Morris defeats Yoshiki Inamura in 30 minutes 51 seconds with a ground crowbar twist. Uh, yep. Yeah. As you said, like we kind of took a step back. Uh, with the rest of the matches. I thought this was still really good though. Like I think I would still put this like in the upper half of the matches that we saw on this night. Uh, again, I mean these are two of the better workers as well, but it just really shows like how different Jack Morris feels just after one year. Uh, yeah. Because when he had this match with Kaito like last year, he was just obviously like the underdog, right? Like he got like the big upset win over Kaito Kiyomiya on the first uh, on the first night and everything, and here he just like feels like a guy. Like he was in control. Like Inamura got his spots here and there, 
but I don't think it ever really felt like never really felt in doubt that Morris was gonna like eventually just gonna come back and win the match. And mm. yeah, he very much is a guy like I wrote that in the previous world. Like to me in block A there's three people that have a chance of advancing out of the block. And that's Keno, obviously, Jake Lee and Jack Morris. And yeah. I I would not be surprised if he advanced up the block, but even if he doesn't, like he will be a guy that like Noah will push. And he they are definitely positioning him for something big down the line. Mm. I I loved love I cannot stress enough how much I loved the finish to this match. Because it kind of goes back to what I was saying before that, you know, as an opening night, this was about familiarizing people with stories, it was about establishing people and it was about establishing kind of moves and key themes. And the finish here established this Cobra twist for Jack Morris as like an instant kill submission because he's trying to lock it in and Inamura is fighting it like death. He's trying to block him, lock in the arms. Like he's really, really struggling. And I thought the camera work was fantastic here because the cameras basically... They used the one that was basically outside the ring and from the level of like the apron. So you're looking up at Inamura and Jack Morris. And Inamura is like fighting, fighting, fighting to stop him locking the arms. And then when he does lock the arms, he's fighting, fighting, fighting to get to the ropes to break the hold. He just about gets there. And then Morris snags him back into a pinfall attempt. Inamura kicks out, but in kicking out, he basically makes the Cobra twist tighter. So then he has to tap out. Um, just a phenomenal finish that established that Cobra twist as like, okay, this is a big deal. This is a submission to be avoided. This is a move to be avoided. And it kind of showed you that Morris is two steps ahead already. Do you know what I mean? Like he knows that if someone tries to break it, he can take them back and trip them back for a pin and whatever. So I thought it was super cool. Establish a move in a great way. Morris looked great. And like, yeah, as I say, I thought Inamura kind of got a chance to stretch his legs a little bit more, which was cool. Yeah. And I really um, hope that, like, obviously, like, it's just the first night. And, like, there's no shame in losing to Jack Morris. But, like, I really hope that Inamura actually gets some wins at this tournament. Because, again, he has never pinned a non-young boy in Noah. So, like, if, he's, if he goes zero points again, I think, like, it's, it's over, basically. <laughs> Yeah, he's got to beat someone. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so on to the next one, uh, Block B. Uh, Lance Anoui defeats Yuma Anzai uh, in 8 minutes and 22 seconds with a Samoan splash. Yeah, this, this, this to me was like more when like things kind of like took a more notable downturn. Like, a, I'm not a big fan of like a... I haven't really, like, what I've seen of Lance Anoui was just always, like, I don't know, kind of okay. That was never really anything really led me to believe that he's, like, really great. Yuma Anzai, I mean, he is really good, but he's he's already putting a lot of stuff together, but he's also, like, again, he's a rookie. He's literally still less than a year in. He's not someone that can make, like, create something very compelling with, like, a lesser opponent. And it wasn't a bad match, but it was also, like, mostly just kind of there and very forgettable yeah uh i have to say you know i i, I very much enjoyed lance anaway's entrance music because they kind of had some sort of weird like hacker 
war dance thing going on at the start of the music and then it kind of just evolved into like west coast hip-hop <laughs> but the start i was like this is cool like he feels important do you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh so that was cool um i thought the match was fine it kind of felt like a, a tv match if that makes sense where it yeah. was kind of stuff happened but it wasn't really trying to do anything else um I guess my my main thing was I thought Lance was going to stink because, you know, I've seen a fair bit of his stuff and it's all very much tag team matches, short tag team matches, doesn't work a lot of singles. And I was like, there is a chance he gets exposed in this tournament because everyone in the ring is, or everyone in his block is a lot more experienced than he is and certainly a lot more experienced in the style. So I thought he might get found out, but I thought he looked fine. Uh, I thought the match was fine. I, I again, I really liked the finish as well because Umaranzo uh, went for a float over in the corner, and Anawai trapped him with like a, um, a savat kick, a super kick, and then Anzai just sort of crumpled on the floor, <laughs> and then he pinned him, and then he hit some splash and pinned him, which I was like, that's quite a cool finish, and a nice way of setting it up. So, uh, yeah, three for three on cool finishes, but yeah, this match was, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. I think I went two and three quarters. It was fine. <laughs> okay, and then in block A, Yuki Yoshioka defeats Masakita Miya uh, with the Inferno. I was disappointed with this match. Uh, I This was actually one of the ones that I was looking forward to. I think Masakita Miya has been really good this year. And while I have my issues with Yuki Yoshioka, where I just, I don't know, like, when he was, I also wrote in the preview, when he was champion, I just fell out of Dragon Gate really hard because I just find him to be kind of bland. But he is a good he, he's a good in ring worker. So I was actually really interested what these could two could do and was there was really anything here. Like yeah, as you said about the match before, it felt like a TV match. This also felt like a TV match where like they did stuff and probably also used it to like establish stuff a bit more for like the rest of the tournament, but yeah, I I also really was just kind of sitting there and being like, waiting for this to go to another gear, and it just never went to another gear. Yeah, I think this was the one where I was like, is there anybody actually in the building? Um, because <laughs> there was no noise for this at yeah. all. Um, Yoshioka, I think, is a charisma vacuum. Um, again, the like... I think I've written my notes that this was like perfectly acceptable meat and potatoes wrestling. And I, and I felt absolutely nothing like it was fine. And I knew it was fine. And I was just like, I just don't care if that makes sense. It kind of mm-hmm. was just like, this exists. It's a three, three and a quarter star match. Great. But it didn't make me super excited for the rest of Yoshioka's tournament. And I mean, Kitamiya is Kitamiya. Like, you know what you're going to get with him. I quite enjoy him, but it was like, I, there was nothing here that made me think, oh, he's he's got something cool going on or he feels interesting or, you know, and again with Yoshioka, I'm not a massive Dragon Gate guy, but I've never seen, I've never been overly impressed when I've seen him before. And there was nothing here that, that kind of changed that perception. Um, and you would assume as, as Dragon Gate are a responsible promotion, he's, going to be positioned fairly well yeah even if he's not going to win so yeah i don't know i have i have very very few thoughts on that one <laughs> fair enough okay and then we break up tournament action uh 
with a six-man tag match, Naomichi Morifuji, Atsushi Kotoge in high 69 defeat, Kazuyuki Fujita, Amaxa, and Juta Miyawaki in 12 minutes and 26 uh, uh, 12 minutes and 20 seconds, uh, when uh, high 69 used a 69 bomb on Miyawaki. Um, yeah, uh, good action to break up the tournament. Tournament. I mean, as you mentioned before, like I think it really like helped the flow of the show. To kind of take a break from the tournament matches and just have like a six-man tag, and I think Noah like that—that's just really something Noah is just really actually good at—is having good six-man tag matches. I mm. think for all of their faults, that's always something they kept—they've been doing consistently well, and I think this was another one that was just like a really well-worked match. Yeah, no, exactly. It was fine. Uh, it broke up the flow. It was a little bit longer than the one earlier on, and again kind of served as a preview of the a tag tournament with Kotoga and, and Hiroki on one side and Makasa and Miyawaki on the other. But look, at least Kaz Vegeta's not in the tournament. That's all I'm happy about. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's still serving people his energy drink from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I personally wouldn't drink one of those. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so then we go back to tournament. Uh, block B, uh, El Hio de Dr. Wagner Jr. defeats Daiki Inaba with the Wagner Driver. Uh, while I didn't think that this was like an amazing match, I think this picked up a bit from the previous matches. Uh, I think, yeah, Wagner has just been really great this year. Uh, and the show here as well. Like, I think last year, like, his and one matches were mostly like pretty boring. And this one was a lot more exciting. Like, he also wore the white mask as well, which is, like, the traditional, mm-hmm. like, Wagner family, like, mask, like, in honor of the tournament and all of that. And I think that's really cool. So, yeah. It, the the thing, though, that hurt it for me was, like, it very much also felt like a very foregone conclusion who was going to win here. And I don't think Inaba ever really got, like, a good chance to win the match. But I think it was still good for what it was. Yeah. No, I would agree. I really like Daiki Inaba, so it was nice to see him kind of get a chance to do something actually fairly meaningful for a change. Um, and yeah, I mean, I absolutely adore oh, he idol Dr. Wagner Jr. Although I will say the mask he was wearing didn't look particularly well fitted because nope. <laughs> there were a few times when like particularly quick exchanges where like you could see him like clinging on for grim death or like having to readjust it afterwards. And it was like, ah, uh, maybe get one that does up next time buddy because that's gonna come off and then obviously because he's a luchador he'd obviously get rolled up because he wouldn't want anybody to see his face <laughs> so can't be dropping points like that in a tournament buddy yeah um but no i thought this was fun it kind of had similarities to uh uh wagner's matches with amakasa recently where it was almost like the only chance inaba had of beating him was like snagging a roll up or snagging something really quick uh, because he was never going to beat him in a straight out, you know, hitting a big lariat or whatever. That wasn't going to work. So it had to be with a roll up or, or a pinning combination or something. So from that point of view, it was fun and it had a lot of sort of energy to it. Um, but yeah, this kind of felt one of the more obvious locks of the night that, you know, the, the main man, Heho, was going to take the win and he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I put in the thing that I thought he was one of the three and B block that has a chance to win behind the two Axis guys. So he's obviously off to a good start. Mm-hmm. And we 
And then we go back to A block, where, and this is a bit more of a surprising result, Adam Brooks uh, defeats Kano with the Aussie Buster. Um, yeah, I mean, as I wrote in the preview, like, Adam Brooks has always been, like, kind of a guy where I'm like, he's an okay in-ring guy. He's never been, like, a guy that blew me away. And, yeah, I think he did well. He, I mean, he was in there with a guy that is one of the best wrestlers in the world. So, he, I think he looked a little bit unsure of himself at points. But, obviously, like, I at least I have a feeling maybe that Noah sees something here. Because they gave him the upset win over Keno, which is big because Keno is obviously one of the favorites. Uh, but I don't know if this was really like his best showing to start off, to be honest. But yeah, we shall see. But I think Keno was good. Like I think Keno like held up his end of the bargain, and it again wasn't a bad match. Like I don't think any of the tournament matches were bad, but also one I don't think that was like one of the better ones either. Yeah, I thought this was fine. It sort of existed. Uh, I was surprised at the result, but yeah, Brooks just kind of looked a bit clumsy and a bit ungainly at various points. Um, but again, it kind of felt like a, just establishing him and kind of who he is, what he is, kind of what he brings to the table. Um, and I don't know, he was doing a lot of talking. I guess because he kind of was cognizant that there was absolutely nothing from the crowd. So he was doing yeah. a lot of, this is your guy. He sucks. And then there was nothing. He didn't even get booed. And I was like, oh, bet you wish you'd stayed in Sydney now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was fine. And I enjoyed Keno at the end, like throwing a hissy fit that he'd lost. So he was like banging his hands on the mat in the corner and then like going up to the referee and being like, are you sure that was three? <laughs> yeah. Um so I guess that obviously sows some seeds for later in the tournament, especially if, you know, he's to lose on night two or something. Because um, he, he's got Inamura on night two. So, I mean, if he lost that... Uh, no, sorry, that's night three. Night two... Oh, he's not working on night two. So, yeah, yeah his second match is against Inamura. So if he lost that, I think he'd have every right to be like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. I, you know, three stars, fine. But nothing special really but I, th you know i think both guys will have better matches and i think now brooks has had his first tournament match i think he'll kind of get into the the saddle of things and i guess there's pressure being in there with keno because of the year that he's had and because of who he is there's a lot more pressure whereas you know his his next two match well, his next matches is is against kitamiya where i feel like there's less pressure because you know you're not in there with one of the favourites, one of the top guys, you know, a massive charisma guy. So um, I, th I think he'll probably find his footing a bit more comfortably. But look, off to a winning start, I guess bodes well for him to have a, a decent tournament. Mm -hmm. And just for quick, did you see Kenno's comment about Kaito being eliminated from the uh, G1? I, I did. I did. I was like, good for you. Go after him. <laughs> You call him a punk. Yeah, so basically, for those that haven't seen it, Keno uh, essentially said that uh, he wants to win the N1 because the N1 final is in the building that Keno, uh, that Kaito got eliminated from the G1 in. And then he's basically going to shed talk him constantly about it if he win if he manages to do that, which that's the reason why Keno is Keno and why Kaito Kiyomiya is Kaito Kiyomiya. Exactly. Okay, and then we go to the next match, Block B. 
Goshi Ozaki defeats Saxon Huxley in 9 minutes 54 with the Gohan Lariat. Uh, yeah, I actually was, I thought this was surprisingly good. Again, nothing to really like put on like your match of the year list or anything like that. But I thought Huxley actually looked solid here. Uh, I think Go also kind of sold his ass off as well. And I think it helped that they kept the match short. They kept it to under, just under 10 minutes. So I think that really helped like sucks, helped Huxley not get uh, exposed. And yeah, no, I, I definitely better than expected, I want to say. And it's probably the best Huxley has looked in Noah so far. Uh, okay, so we're going to differ oh, okay. differ massively here because I thought this sucked. So I felt like Huxley's kind of wild man thing, which I've kind of enjoyed for the most part, he felt quite tame here. And, you know, Go was doing the thing early on where he was he was landing the chops to the leg and the knee, mm-hmm. which obviously was quite cool and quite different. You don't see that very often. But then, like, there was no difference in Huxley. You know, there was no, like, selling or anything like that. And then, yeah, there was just a few lariats at the end and that was game over. And it, it felt short, which obviously it was a fair bit shorter than some of the other stuff, but... Yeah, this just felt kind of lifeless and, I don't know, boring, I guess. Um, not like bad, but just boring. So I, I went two stars on this. I just thought it was okay, fine, but definitely the weakest match on the show for me. So uh, obviously I, in, I enjoyed the, uh, the Huxley man, the Pride of Hartlepool, a bit less than you. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I don't know whether that's just because I assumed he was going to win. So, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I put in my preview yeah. that I thought he was going to win because obviously the thing with Go was that he's like kind of not been ready. So I thought it was going to be maybe lose the first match or the yeah. first couple of matches. And then because uh, he's got Anzai on night two. So I wondered if he was going to maybe lose twice. And then obviously go on strong because obviously I think he's going to win the whole thing. I think that's the the right outcome. I think that's the most sensible outcome. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just didn't think he was going to win, so that threw me for a spin. But I also just didn't think the match was anything to write home about. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't. Well, I started by saying it sucked, so I guess I did think it was bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, and I would also go back and argue it a bit more, but like it's Saxon Huxley, so that's not a hill I'm like <laughs> dying on. <laughs> so uh, we go to the next match, uh, which is Block A, uh, or rather the main event uh, of the night, which is Jake Lee defeats defeats Timothy Thatcher in 20 minutes and four seconds with the FBS, uh, which is his like front thing, kick thingy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I thought this was pretty good. I don't think this was nearly as good as Sawyer versus uh, uh, was Nakajima. I saw some people go four stars on this match. I don't think it was that good. Um, but yeah, I, I think this definitely was hurt by kind of the crowd being really bad. And if you just have mm-hmm. a 20-minute main event and the crowd is quiet, that really doesn't help it. Like, I'm someone that enjoys Fatra's work, but... Yeah, I, I, I mean, and it sounded more, probably more negative than it actually was. Like, I thought this was still a good match. 
Um, but I think it definitely is like the match that was hurt the most by the crowd just being terrible outside of Soya versus Nakajima. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of grappling, which if you've not been a very quiet, if you've not been a very noisy crowd all night, these two kind of trade and holds and, you know, grappling a lot isn't going to get you going. No. Um, Unless you're a hard hit crowd in Shinkiba. Obviously, well, yes. very different yes. uh, uh, <laughs> uh, field there, or, or crowd size as well. Well, yeah. actually, not really. Like it's really only <laughs> well, a couple of few hundred people. <laughs> um, I thought this was fine. Um, you know, I think I went three stars. Um, it felt very long. I think that was my point. I th- I think I, I well I enjoyed what I saw. Um. I quite enjoyed Thatcher as well, and I thought it was a very different match from Jake Lee here because it's often felt in his title matches that he's been the underdog in many ways, and he's basically you know been beaten up for a lot of the time before kind of coming back into it, which always jars given how tall he is. Um, but here it was a lot more just kind of grappling and then eventually built to kind of the finishing sequence and then, the, yeah, the big boot in the corner. Um, yeah, I thought it was fine. I, I've seen a, a real wild variance in this one because, like you say, I've seen people go four stars, but I've also seen, I think I saw the first couple of ratings on Cage Match were four out of ten, mm-hmm. which seemed kind of harsh. So I guess I'm I'm sort of somewhere in the middle where I thought it was fine, but it didn't, you know, enthrall me in the way that, you know, I know you enjoyed it and I know mm-hmm. Strigger. Uh, I saw he tweeted as well that he'd really enjoyed it. So... Um, yeah, it was fine. It was fine, but I guess just the lack of noise just meant it was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, the show's over. It was also just like the show's over, and it sort of—I felt bad for them because it felt like a bit of a wet fart to end on. But um, it was fine. But I mean, yeah, I guess looking ahead to the rest of the tournament, there was nothing on night one that made me change my perspective on the tournament. You know. Mm-hmm. I still think realistically it's between Shiyazaki, uh, Dr. Wagner Jr. And, and Nakajima in block B and then Keno and Jake Lee in block A. Like I didn't see anything on night one that made me change that view, even though I know uh, Nakajima and Keno both lost. Um, they all still just feel like the most compelling people, the most interesting people. Um, and I guess that will play out. But yeah, I don't know. Tournament structured really weirdly because you've got like these nights with seven matches and then there's three nights with six matches. So there's like four people getting the night off. And I'm mm. like, I don't know. Seems it actually strange, really fucked guess... me up when I was writing up the <laughs> when I was writing up the structure for the preview with the schedule. Because <laughs> basically I was like, wait a minute, no, but like that's this guy's third opponent as well. Did I did I screw up yeah. here somewhere? And I went back, yeah. I was like, no, wait, oh, because he has that night off. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Th- this was, yeah, there's, was there's only confusing. three. Yeah. yeah, there's only three um, mat, uh, three nights with eight singles matches. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, a wild one. But, yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like it's pointing in that direction because the last night you've got Shiozaki Nakajima, Hiho Del Dr. Wagner Jr. against Manabu Soya. And then in block A, you've got Jake Lee, Keno, and Jack Morris, Adam Brooks. 
So they kind of feel like they're the four matches that are going to be the most significant. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. My feeling is very much that Shiazaki Nakajima decides block B, where it's like, oh, he owed Dr. Wagner Jr. needs one of them to lose. And then, you know, go wins or whatever. But yeah, a go Kano final is still what I'm going for. I haven't changed my mind at all in the last few days or after this first night, but I don't know if you have any other kind of big picture stuff in the rest of the tournament. Uh, no, I like the only thing that uh, I kind of, uh, like I said, the only, the only additional thing that I kind of came up with in my head is basically caused by Kaito getting eliminated from the G1. And it's the one I already talked about, the horror scenario. Mm. Jake wins the tournament. He has defeated everyone. Because he deliberately said right like at, before the tournament that like there's no one that is like worth challenging him, so now he's gonna go into the end one as champion. And then if he like wins that one as well, and then Kaito comes back and wins the title and yeah. That's the only like kind of like horror scenario I have in my head right now, and I really hope they don't do that. Like I think it just makes the most sense to like go with Goshiazaki because he's never wanted or to go with Kano because he has like a believable, like long term, like kind of top guy now that he's because again like while he was in Congo you couldn't do that because he was like this anti-authority guy well he's still kind of a prick like he's not like that like I'm fighting against Noah guy he's more like a Noah guy now so you could actually like put him on top more long term so yeah maybe that's the only thing where like I shifted a bit more towards thinking Keno is going to win rather than Go is going to win but I'm probably mm. still more like 55% go and 45% Kano at this point. Okay, mm-hmm. and then uh, I actually, just real quick before we move on to the next thing, uh, when I sent over the previews uh, to Rich to publish them, uh, you know how I included like the singles tournament history of every participant, yeah. and I mean every singles tournament. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rich actually thought I had made up the Battle of West Lothen. <laughs> No, this is a real this is a real thing. Yeah. An important uh, accolade in a man's life is to win the Battle of West Lothian. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I just responded yeah. to him that it's just as prestigious as the Battle of Los Angeles. Absolutely. Yeah. To the, you know, for the people of Central Scotland, it's just as important. He yeah. also competed in the Lionheart League as well, which I did enjoy. Yeah. Just like, I don't think I've ever seen anything more depressing with an empty arena behind closed doors, ICW. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, don't know I, mean, how, I don't know why bad. you put yourself through that. <laughs> Look, COVID was a hard time for everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's bad. Yeah, that was I mean, he bad. lost to a guy called Luca De Pazzi, who I genuinely don't think is a real person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... Look, it is what it is. This mm-hmm. man's a former ICW tag team champion and he deserves respect. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Uh, and the other thing as well, is talking about our great previews as well. Um, boy, Stu Fulton sure seemed to know a lot about everyone's singles tournament history on that show. <laughs> well, see, I must have missed that. Well, not must have missed that. I did miss that because I watched the vast majority of the show with Japanese commentary hmm. uh, because I heard two matches of G-Man 
And I was like, I can't do this to myself. <laughs> I genuinely can't cope with him not really knowing what's going on. I'm like, mother of God! It's like, no, I can't do it. Mm. Like, I genuinely... I was like, I'm just going to get mad. So I was like, if I watch the <laughs> Japanese, I survive with All Japan and Big Japan, watching it with Japanese commentary, I'll survive this show as well. Um, yeah, I can, I can see. Like, he's a, he's a good ring announcer, but, like, I don't know why they insist on just putting him on no, commentary. No, like, like, Pickering has his faults, but I think he's a good commentator. Yeah. And Stu Fulton's brilliant. Like, he's a pro. He knows what he's doing. And those two are fine. And the matches where it's just those two are fine. But then it's like, oh, Stu Fulton's not doing this match. Here's G-Man. Yeah. It's just, he, took over, he took over both color and play-by-play. Like, it was like yeah, what just is he like, doing just here? Just stop, stop talking. Yeah. Like, oh, he's just, yeah. So, yeah, I must have missed uh, Stu Fulton um, doing his own research at voiceofwrestling.com. But... Uh, Good for him and good for us. <laughs> yeah. That's what I say. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, okay, so uh, okay, so now we get... Uh, so, so now we're done with uh, Noah. Uh, we're, we're not going to all Japan, by the way, because we're taking a quick detour to the great world of great, Gleed, whatever the fuck you want to call it. You know what? They did a shit show, so I'm going to call it Bleed. <laughs> Don't, because I, that great is definitely not the thing that they were on that show. So they didn't, they need to earn that Monica back. So now they Gleed. Uh, so Gleed version Mega happening on the 4th of August. Live on YouTube, which I think they actually do a halfway decent number, like more than a normal I think they had like 10k people or something watching that. Um, so live from Sumo Hall in Tokyo. In front of 2,215 fans. Which is bad. Another bad number. Like, just big oof. I hope whatever they paid Kota Ibushi was worth it. So, Like, that's the other thing, right? You get the first match of Kota Ibushi in Japan since the G1 final where he got injured against Okada. And then everything happened. So there's, like, there's obviously like a lot of like intrigue around it, right? If you draw less than, like, we just talked about Noah's struggles to draw, right? And you yep. draw, like, 500 people less than Noah did for Majestic. Yep. Like, that's, that's really bad. Especially because DDT, another promotion that has been struggling to draw, like, they just, like, annihilated your number there, like, just a few days yep. earlier. Yeah, exactly. Like they drew Although like a thousand fair, people more. To be fair, Peter Pan did have Matt Cardona on it, so obviously That's true. All I hadn't considered to see that. Him, him and Andre's a giant panda, but uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it, that two thousand two hundred number is four thousand less than altogether again start of June, <laughs> and four and a half thousand less than Sakura Genesis. Yeah, uh, which obviously was. Headlined by Okada against Sonata. Yeah. And obviously had Mercedes Monet as well. But it's like, that's a horrendous number. Yeah. You've obviously had to pay a fortune to rent the building. You've booked a 58 match card, flown in a bunch of weird people. And I mean, you put some like then... known draws on this as well, right? You put like, yeah. you put like, Koto Ibushi on there, obviously. You put 
Kento was on the show. Like uh, you also had uh, uh, you also had Hiromo on the show as well, right? Yeah. So and you drew yeah. less like than Noah, mm -hmm. right? Like it's it's just like it's just not an acceptable number. Like yeah. they should have just not like they should have like if you want to go for a bigger show, like maybe don't go straight to like Sumo Hall unless they got like a really good rate on it. Right, like, because yeah. obviously, like, it's, yeah, because again, like, because the, the other thing that I would compare this to, like, this drew less than the Champion Carnival final in Ota Ward, yeah. which also had T, which T had T Hawk in the main event. Yeah, and he's co-main eventing here against. Yeah, Hayato he's a better, he's a better draw in all Japan than he is in Elite. <laughs> Which I, well, that's actually well, something actually proves, I, I, I actually yeah. proves that uh, hmm? Shitaro Ishino is a bigger draw. That too. That too. <laughs> Confirmed. Yeah. No, for sure. It's actually I had a brief conversation with Mike Spears after the show was over, and like the thing I brought up there is like I think T Hawk should jump to All Japan. Like I think they Probably. book him better. He's a better draw there. Like I think he fits better with the style of the promotion. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you haven't seen the show, uh, unfortunately. But so I'm gonna kind of quickly go through the mattress and give my thoughts. But you just kind of intersect basically if you want to like touch on anything that was happening or if there's anything you want to know more about. Okay, so uh, in the opener uh, or the dark match, I'm actually not sure because I didn't see this match and I didn't really look like it was anything worth. Back, going back for uh, Yuya Susumu and JD Lee defeat Yusuke Kodama and uh, Masato Kamino in 6 minutes and 30, uh, 30 seconds uh, after Lee pinned Kamino after a shooting star press. Didn't see it. These are the end so let's move on. So I'm going to talk about both of the next matches kind of together. So I'm going to talk about just quickly mention the results for both of them. So kickboxing rules. Now defeats Maya Fukuda in round two uh, after a TKO. And then Gleet MMA rules. Uh, Akihiro Gono defeats Tetsuya Izuchi uh, by decision after three rounds. Why? What, what are we doing here? What is this? What's the point of this? Why do you think this is a good idea? Just. You. you do you actually think this is helping your guys? Because it's not. Because it makes them look awful. Like we talked, we touched on this already during the awards show when we talked about the uh, the Soma Watanabe match at the first lead MMA show, where both me and Kelly Harris voted that match were like the worst match because it, it just did damage to Watanabe and like Watanabe just looked horrendous, just this like washed up like MMA guy. Just beat the shit out of him, and then Watanabe threw up after the match. Like that didn't happen here, but like Maya Fukuda didn't look that much better. Like it was actually like kind of felt like she was put out of her mercy when she lost by TKO. Like, and she's like again like one of your young stars. Like, why are you doing this to her? Like this didn't help at all. If anything, like it hurt her like aura really. And then same for Izuchi. Like Izuchi is another like I think he has a ton of potential. I think he's a guy that like. Gleed really should be building up now. But they're not. Instead of putting him in this kind of stuff where like he 
basically it felt like Gono was told that he can't finish Izuchi. So he actually spent a good chunk of the match just kind of standing in the corner, adjusting his pants, and he still won by decision. Like, I just don't get what we're doing here. Like, it just, yeah. it feels like such a waste, right? Like, why? I think the last time I saw Akihiro Gono was him losing a split decision to Dan Hardy in the UFC <laughs> about 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then it's like, what? it's like, I saw the results and I was like, sorry, why is there a 50 year old bloke? <laughs> like in your second match of the show. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Like I don't, I'm not a huge Gleek guy, but I, I genuinely don't understand the mindset of who this is for. Where it's like you have on this show, two kind of kickboxing MMA fights, three wrestling matches, and then you get the UWF stuff. And it's like, who is this for? Generally, people want one or the other. They yeah. don't want both. So why are you trying to horseshoe them in together? Or if you're doing it, like, for example, like I brought it up earlier, like, because Hard Hit is doing, like, all that kinds of stuff as well, where they like mix in, for example, like exhibition grappling matches and all that kind of stuff. But again, that's for a very niche crowd in Shinkiba. That's not something you put in Sumo Hall. There's a reason Hard Hit doesn't run Sumo Hall. I love Hard Hit. But, yeah. Like, it's just... I, and again, it's also like... Like, Gono dominated Izuchi really badly. That's what I mean, like, where it felt like he was told that he can't finish him. But it just made Izuchi look like such a bitch that just this 50-year-old guy is just here and he's just beating the shit out of him. And he had no chance at all. Like, it's just awful. Awful, awful, awful. Okay, uh, move on for now because I, I, I hated everything. <laughs> I hated this so much. Okay, so Quiet Storm's 25th anniversary special match. Masakatsu Funaki, Quiet Storm, and Kazuma Sakamoto defeat Takamichinoku. Yuji Hino and Issei Onitsuka in 8 minutes and 32 seconds uh, when uh, Quiet Storm uh, hit the 53 centimeter arm lariat on Onitsuka. I mean, this was fine. I mean, it was 8 minutes and 32 seconds. It was perfectly acceptable wrestling. I enjoyed like Quiet Storm and Yuji Hino just kind of running into each other. That was really fun. I mean, that shouldn't really be surprising. Just two big dudes just slapping into each other. That's always great. That's just the best thing in wrestling. And everyone else here, like, I mean, Funaki, I, I can, honestly can't really remember anything Funaki did. Not even sure if he tagged in. Probably did. Not for long, most likely. Perfectly acceptable match. Uh, I did enjoy, not nothing to do with Glee, I did enjoy uh, the Peter Pan main event between Yuji Hino and Chris Brooks. Um, I think the highlight was when uh, Hino took his shirt off so Brooks could chop him and then was like, no, you don't chop hard enough and then put his T-shirt <laughs> back on. And I was like, that's the sort of alpha male move that we need more of. Yes. No, Hino We were like, no, you're a chump. I'm putting this back on. So, yeah, no thoughts on this, but yeah, Yuji Hino's fun. Yes, uh, I agree. Yeah, the, the image of him and Tucker on the same team is quite funny <laughs> as well. Okay, so then in the next match, uh, Kyoko Inui, Dash Shasako, and Sai, uh, Una, uh, Sayaka Unagi, and Yukari Hosokawa defeat Risa Sera, Michiko, Oi, and Janaikai in 6 minutes and 35 seconds 
when uh, Unagi hit a sliding Tanaka on Aoi. And this was fine, but this was just, again, baffling booking on the part of Gleed. So, Michiko recently turned heel, right? Like, after she did the whole thing, like, oh, I'm going to leave Gleed, I'm going to leave Gleed. And then she didn't, and she comes back, and she turns heel. And she kind of formed, like, basically here on the show, they kind of debut a, like, heel faction built around her in a Demon Ego- Egoist, which, amazing name for a faction, I need to say. But then they just lose in six minutes and 35 seconds. Just like, like, why are you debuting a new heel faction and then immediately have them win just in six minutes? Like, what, what is this booking? Like, like you just immediately just completely cut the heel, like whatever chance there was for like this heel stable. Because now they're chumps because they lost their first match just instantly. And... Yeah, I don't know. I, I just completely didn't get this. The match was fine, but the booking was just, again, really weird. So is Janai Kai going to be a regular for them then? Or do they literally fly her up for just that show? Cause no, if they did... she, she, has, she, has worked, she has worked late before. I think she's actually over in Japan right now for a tour. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I know I've I looked on her cage match earlier, and I know she's not actually... That's the only match she's wrestled in Japan so far, so... I was like, that's a very strange use of your money. But there again, so is one in this building when you can put no one in it. So yeah. No, she, she, she was actually on the second anniversary show, yeah. Uh, okay. And she was yeah, teaming I, with... I also uh, think she skates. They, they kind of had that team basically go there as well. Like, they basically had that same team on that show. But they weren't, like, a basically not, like, you know, like a stable yet. Like, they were just kind of teaming yeah. together. And then they bring them out in this in the show as a stable with a name and everything. And they just lose. Yeah, I also think she, she kind of stinks as well. So. <laughs> yeah. No, she she very much like amongst her stable mates. She, I, mean, I mean, maybe, look, I mean, she wouldn't be the first person to like become better wrestling in Japan, right? You would hope so. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, she definitely can't get better if she's just in like six minute matches. But yeah, we'll see. Well, yeah. Okay, so then the next match. Uh, where we had the uh, Black Generation International team of Kataru Suzuki, Hartley Jackson, Keiji Sato, and Yutani defeat Kento Miyahara, Shigehiro Irie, Junji, and Jack Hartwheel in 7 minutes and 12 seconds uh, when uh, Jackson pinned Junji after a Falcon Arrow. Again, another perfectly acceptable match. It's weird that you put Kento on the show and then have him lose in 7 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about that, but sure. I, I don't think it hurts Kento because he's Kento Miyahara and he's kind of Teflon at this point. But it also, like, it's weird that, like, you put him on the show and you just literally put him in the exact middle of the card in seven minutes and that's really all he does here. Just, yeah, I don't know. Again, more weird booking from Glade. And at the very least, it made more sense that Jackson won here because of what they were, like, going to do later. But, yeah. Okay, and then we move over to the Lidet UWF part of the show. Where on the Lidet UWF rules, Minoru Suzuki and Shinya Aoki defeat Fujita, Junior Hayato, and Yu Izuka in 8 minutes and 23 seconds uh, when uh, Suzuki choked out Izuka with a sleeper hold. Yeah, I mean, it's another Lidet UWF rules match. 
I mean, your mileage varies on these. I think these can be really good. I think Suzuki's really good at it. I think Fujita, like, is really good at it as well. You, eh, okay at it. I honestly have no time for Shinya Yoki because I also have suspect that he's the guy between all the lead MMA nonsense because he's the one that keeps tweeting out those matches. Um, yeah, I mean, it was fine. That's really all I can say about it. Uh, but it is definitely weird that, like, you had this whole tournament, crown Takanori Ito as your first lead, lead new WF champion, and then you have immediately have him drop it to Fujita, and then Fujita loses on the next show. I mean, at the very least, it seems like they might go for a Suzuki versus uh, Fujita uh, title match. So I'm, I am looking forward to that. But still, again, a bit of a weird booking. And again, also very short, which I think is a thing you can say about a lot of the matches on the show. Uh, yeah. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here 
on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, Passcode unlocking, a remote control with a 2K clear sight, see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys or reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So then for the G-Infinity title, the Saito brothers, Jun Saito, Ray Saito, uh, defeat uh, the bulk orchestra team of Ryuichi Kawakami and Galeno Del Mal in 14 minutes and 55 seconds uh, when Ray hit a diving body press on Kawakami. Again, baffling booking. Like, I, I, I was like, okay, like, it makes sense, like, if you have the Saitos here and they, like, toss around, uh, uh, they toss around Tanaka, uh, and uh, and Kasayashi earlier uh, in one of the title defenses, so that that made a ton of sense. And like then you have like the bulk orchestra team come in after they turn face, 
and you have them defeat the Saitos and take the belt, but no, the Saitos keep the title, and I'm really not sure what the point is of the Saitos keeping these titles longer. Like, I felt like the title reign was perfectly acceptable for what it was. So now I'm just really confused what, like, the plan is. Like, Well, so I, I did have a pondering on this. Mm-hmm. Hayato Tamura is facing June Saito in the first round of the yes. road. I saw that. So I wonder if they're going to go back to the Saitos against Tamura and Kamatani. So we're just, Check Kamatani. So we're just basically just go full circle. Yeah, time is a flat circle. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know, but I'm assuming that's why he's in the tournament. But um, yeah, my only other thought here, obviously I've not seen it, but uh, Galeno Del Mal is incredible. Yeah. Um, he's like a fridge freezer with legs. But I really wish Noah would steal him. Yes. And, well, if they had a tag tournament, I hope they steal him and then him and his brother team together. Yes. Because there's no way... Those two should ever lose. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I mean, I've been saying that since he popped up. It's like, no, absolutely needs to steal. Like, how did this, like, I think that's literally what I said when he popped up in Glead, was like, how did Noah let this happen? Like, yeah. they, they, it's not even that you can say that they don't have good connections in Mexico. They obviously do. And also, it's literally the brother. Like, obviously, you should yeah, exactly. be like, he should come to you and be like, hey, do you want to book my brother? And you just need to look at a photo of him. And you're like, yes, yes, we want to book your brother. Obviously, we do. Yeah. And then they can have an undercard trios match. And it's yeah. those two and Dave the Clown. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Maybe that's why they didn't belt him up here. Otherwise, it's just a baffling decision that, like, Lee didn't <laughs> belt him up here. Like, just out of all of the booking decisions, this might be one of the worst ones. But, yeah, it's just really weird stuff. Okay, then the next match, the Ultra Junior One Night Dream. Kesayashi, Minoru Tanaka, and Shima defeat Hiromu Takahashi, Atsuki Aoyagi, and Jun Toncho in 10 minutes and 20 seconds when Shima pinned Toncho after Meteora. Talking about baffling booking, this was yet another one. <laughs> where just the three old guys defeat the three young guys. And I really, I'm kind of dreading, because I have a feeling that I know what this is leading to. Um, oh yeah, just for quick. Oh, because I forgot to mention it. Actually, because it has said like they're gonna go back to Tamara, but first, uh, it's actually Hartley Jackson and Kataru Suzuki challenge the Saitos. But yeah, if they can get past those, then I feel like yeah, Tamara beating, uh, win- winning in the Royal Road and then challenging for the Infinity Titles probably would make a ton of sense. But yeah, coming back to this one, yeah, Shima getting the win here, and then T-Hawk spoilers defending his title. Uh, afterwards kind of leads me to believe that like I think Shima might be winning might be beating T-Hawk for the title which mm. that's kind of like that's really bad like that, that's just baffling because why else would he be winning here right like why is he getting like this win on the big show like Kasayashi you... can easily take the fall right and I mean you don't like okay maybe you don't want to have Jun Toncho win but like I mean, you have your Roma right there. You have Atsuki right there. Like they can take a win, and it's also really interesting that like New Japan just allowed this to happen as well. Yeah. Well, look, you got to put yourself over, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, nobody else is going to do it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, yeah, he's, he's one of the few. Had... He's one of the no. few gr- elite guys on the show 
that like faced off with an outsider and won. Yeah, because Shima had that New Japan Cup run, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Last year when he got to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. So, God knows. I. I mean, there certainly Bastard. wasn't anyone like built up in the main event to like challenge D Hawk next. So Shima kind of um, is the only guy now. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the main event because um, I've heard good things hmm? about it. So would you recommend that I watch T-Hawk <sighs> and Mr. Tomorrow? Oh, that one, yes. Not? No, I would definitely recommend watch that one. That one is really good. That that one is easily the, by far and away the best match on the show. It's not even close. Perfect. So for so just very quick for the result as well. So for the G Rex title, T Hawk defeats Hayato Tam- Tamara in twenty five minutes, fifty two seconds with the Night Ride for his third defense. Yeah, no, this one was really good. I flirted with four stars. I think I might need to rewatch it, I think, because I was already kinda grumpy with everything that had been going on on the show. So I didn't go for in the moment. I think if I rewatch it I probably will. Because it was that good. It was just yeah, I mean Higher to Tamara is great. T-Hawk is great as well. So it was exactly what you expected the match between them to be. Kind of baffled by the results because I also expected Higher to Tamara to win here and take the title off of T-Hawk, who's had a solid reign. But I feel like Tamara is like should be like the guy that you're building up. Like he should be the guy that you're like trying to like make your actual ace because that is something that like Glee is still missing. Mm. Is like an ace. Like, they tried, kind of, a little bit with Elindemann, but I don't think... Like, I love Elindemann, but that's not really the kind of guy that he is. And I feel like Hayato Tamara can be that guy. But obviously feels like they don't think he's ready yet. So, T-Hawk beats him here in a really, really good match, though. So, yeah. And I I would definitely recommend, if there's anything from the show that you go and watch, it's this match. And I mean, it is on YouTube, so you can like go and watch it very easily. You just have to scroll through a bunch of nonsense to get there. But hey, I mean, YouTube significantly improved the scrolling function recently, so you can actually like very easily find the beginning of the match. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then Perfect. in the main event, in a five-on-five super premium elimination match, Kota Ibushi, Shuji Ishikawa, Daisuke Sekimoto. Haganashino, Yumehito Imanari defeat Takanori Ito, Soma Watanabe, El Lindemann, Jack Shimatani, and Kaito Ishida in 35 minutes and 54 seconds, where it came down to Ibushi and Kaito Ishida, and Ibushi pinned Ishida after Kamagoi. So, as I said, this was Kota Ibushi's big return to Japan. He gets injured in the G1 final. He's injured for a really, really long time. And then weird things start like floating around about him. He gets announced for the New Japan Cup and then he gets pulled. And he says he wasn't ready yet and everything. And then he starts posting on social media, basically accusing kind of New Japan of being bad at booking and just like not treating him right. And even going so far as like dropping like allegations of like New Japan having like shady contacts and everything, which is a big, big no no in Japan. And basically mm-hmm. they work out an agreement, right, where he gets let go, like his contract just like runs out quietly in exchange for him just shutting the fuck up, basically. And then he pops up in AEW, he has the like blood and guts match 
doesn't really look great. And now he makes his big return to Japan here. I think he still looked bad. Like, mm. Because, like, in, like, the Blood and Gods match, like, we've seen that one, right? He, he just didn't yeah. look good at all. No. No. He looked pudgy for a start, which, to be fair, I'm built like the Michelin Man, so I can't really comment. <laughs> but he looked pudgy um, and just kind of looked quite slow and cumbersome and almost like he didn't really know what he was doing. Um, well, not didn't really know what he was doing. I suppose that's not really a, an accurate representation, but he just sort of looked very out of place and like definitely not up with the pace of the match and the intensity mm -hmm. of that match. You know, you got John Moxley diving on a bed of nails and Ibushi's there throwing like really awkward looking forearms and mm -hmm. it's like, mm, not great. And yeah, obviously I've not seen this match, but most of what I heard was he didn't look good again, and you've kind of said similar. He yep. doesn't sound super encouraging. No, he he did get a bit like a bit better in like the closing stretch with Ishida. Like I think he he like did a bit better there, but like he just he didn't look physically well. Like which apparently else it wasn't because he I think he posted some tweets like the night before that he had like a fever and everything. So maybe that affected him in this match still. I mean most likely. But yeah, he just looked physically unwell. Like he he always is kind of like, you know, like a kind of pale guy, but he looked even paler mm -hmm. here. And yeah, he just always seemed like a step too slow. Um like I said, he got better as the match went on, but it still felt like a long way away from like prime Ibushi. Yeah, and obviously like expected him to win this match, but still as I said, like it just the entire thing on the show was just lead coming up short constantly against outsiders, and this just continued here. And I like I just don't think it's a good way to present yourself because it's just such a continuous issue in lead, right? That they just always get the short end of the stick when they face off with outsiders and everything. And mm. this was really just that dialed up to like a massive degree. Uh, I also don't think that, like, Kota Ibushi's, like, team is, like, really all that exciting as well. Like, it was just kind of a random collection of, like, guys that he's friends with. Like, this just felt like Onita showing up on a CZW show with his buddies and just demanding that a singles match gets turned into a, into a six-man tag match. So, yeah, yeah, all, yeah. The, all the old Ultimo Dragon routine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, you have the singles match, the heels run in, and then it turns into a tag match. Oh, no. What a tragedy. <laughs> um, Who could ever have predicted Yeah, exactly. Except, like, the 50 times this happened before. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, uh, Larry Sonka used to write on uh, Forum 1, obviously passed mm -hmm. away. I remember, you know, the height of Suzuki-Goon. Every every match review started with, in a complete shock to no one, Suzuki Gun jumped their opponents before the bell. <laughs> and like it used to pop me every time because it was like, yep, 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 yep. yep there's Suzuki and there's Izuku with the giant fingers and yeah. Yep. Somehow they never prepared. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh well, yeah. Well, maybe Yota Suji learned the lessons because uh, bringing out an identical twin to uh, <laughs> ha ha. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I'd, a five-on-five five elimination match. I guess they probably couldn't have got Ibushi to work a singles, or who would you have put him in there with? But yeah, it didn't look super exciting on paper, no. and it hurt. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt the card teams. as well because you basically like you had to use up like five mm-hmm. of your like young top talent here that you could yeah, have so put it, like other stuff on else. the card. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not good. No, and then afterwards, basically, Ibushi is like. I don't know. I think maybe he felt he was like putting them over, but it felt really patronizing. Where he was like, "Oh yeah, hey, I won, da 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 da, yeah." But congratulate yourself. You did a really nice job. And then there's a scape and in the match to like cut a promo. And then all the guys that lost earlier in the night came out, like Hayato Tamura and like Kawakami and like like the women and like Maya Fukuda and like I don't know. I, I like again. It just like you just when you just saw them all assembled. Like literally, the first thing I thought is like all of these guys lost. All of them. Like, what the fuck? Like, why are you booking it this way? Yeah. Like, and didn't you wonder why you draw two thousand fans in Sumo Hall? Yeah, that's the reason. Yeah, I don't. Why. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to ask where the money's coming from, but like, they have got to have made an enormous loss on that show. Even how much mm-hmm. they must have paid Ibushi to do it. Yes. And it's like, eh, was it worth it? Definitely not. Uh, Kento probably doesn't come cheap for like outside bookings as well. well even how rarely he does them. Hiromu. Hiromu, as well. yeah. Like, Taka. These, these fellas, are, yeah, these fellas aren't coming in for free. And you're flying in, you know, Jack Cartwheel and like bizarre, very bizarre. And I don't. I don't know. I mean, this I was really this was just a massive functions, but yeah. Like this was Glee's chance, right? This was their chance to show that they aren't just like you know. Yeah, they're like an alternative. They're a viable exactly. Like I feel like they've bolstered it up. Yeah, so. that 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 they're on like the level of like uh, at least like in all Japan, basically, right? That they're like comparable to all Japan, and not like the next level below them, but they're not. And, no, they're not. Know, Dietrich really aren't, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. I think I'm. This show really like made me feel like down a lot on Bleed. Like I, I'm just mm-hmm. like I'm probably out on them for a while until they can show me something that can like rope me back yeah. in. But like unless something big happens, this might be the last time we talk about Bleed on the show for a while. Yeah. Just like like I said, it wasn't really even like a bad show in terms of like in ring, but just baffling booking up and down the card. And like you were talking about like that it looking bad on the Noah show, but like this was also like a dark void show. And whenever they turned on the lights, there was no one on the hard camp side. Like it actually looked like so embarrassing. Just yeah. terrible. Terrible, terrible. You had your chance, you blew it. So we'll yeah, see where they the go mud. from here. But, in the mud, yeah. Gleetis. Absolutely in the mud, yes. Gleet in the mud. All of them. Anyway, let, let's move on to something. Let's move on to something more positive. Let's move on to All Japan, finally. Uh, so, uh, All Japan had kind of uh, three relatively big shows. I think they actually, and we're talking about like terrible drawing records, but I think actually All Japan drew pretty well uh, mm. for all three of these shows uh, that they did recently. So uh, let's go through them. So for the first one, from July 22nd, uh, 
from Kunibike Messe Exhibition Hall in front of 937 fans. Uh, we had in the first match we had Yuma Anzai and Atsuki Oyagi go to a 50-minute time limit draw. Uh, I actually had kind of a feeling that that's how this match was going to go because a yes Anzai is a rookie, but he's a heavyweight and he was about to go TDN once. So he couldn't really lose, and Atsuki is still kind of like the top guy in the junior division. So even while he is a junior, I think that also would have looked bad if he lost to like a rookie here. Um, yeah. So this just felt like the logical conclusion. I, I think these two did really, really well because like I think these are two guys that you can also have go to a time limit draw, and I think for an open it was really good. Yeah, and also poor Atsuki just had to do the job for Hayata, so he deserved yeah. something in return. Um, Hayata still stinks, by the way. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. Uh, didn't really, um, I thought it kind of lacked a level of intensity mm -hmm. that I was looking, I felt like Atsuki reigned in a little bit more. It was a bit less high flying than normal. And obviously Yuma still, it's still a fairly limited move set. So there's, you know, it kind of felt like it never really peaked. And then they were like, oh, time's up. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. So it was probably only, you know, a, a three, three and a quarter star match, but it was still a, a decent little opener. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, intriguing putting Atsuki in there in a singles match with a heavyweight, because obviously he's now in the, the Royal Road lineup, which obviously we'll talk about in a bit. So obviously yeah. this was sort of a useful example of him being in there with a, a heavyweight, because obviously he's going to be doing a bit more of that uh, later this month. So. Mm -hmm. And then the next match, Shuji Shikawa, uh, Shuji Shikawa and Rena Yabe defeat Hikaru Sato and Ayla Blanc in 9 minutes and 20 seconds uh, when Ishikawa hit Blanc with the Fire Thunder Driver. Um, yeah, another good matchup. It was kind of curious that Blanc was on the losing side here. Um, I think maybe like because he won like his first match in, but maybe like and also like what happened on like other shows, like maybe they're like having him take some lumps basically now so which i think is fair in a way as well but interesting nonetheless uh yeah again i thought it was another like perfectly acceptable match nothing really made it to write home about yeah no i, I thought it was fine i think blanc has looked decent in his mm -hmm. first few opportunities but you know of the of the french adores he's definitely less yeah. well-rounded than senza volto so in a sense he he doesn't really need to be coming in and straight away challenging for a title um, because thankfully all Japan have got enough going on with their, their juniors. It's not like I know big Japan did where they brought in um, Endakara. The, is he Swedish, Turkish? Uh, he is Swedish. With and it, he basically came in, did one tour and it was like, right, now you're facing Kaiji Tomato for the <laughs> yeah. title. And it was a decent little match, but it's like they have so little depth, they have to do that. Whereas all Japan don't really have to, um, and I'm guessing there'll be a junior battle of glory later this year. Maybe, uh, yeah, because normally they generally put it at the beginning of summer, but I don't know if that's shifted now. Yeah, because I know they had the tag one, which seemed mm. a bit weird given that they don't really have a junior tag title, but never mind. Uh, I'm guessing they might do something later in the year, and obviously then he'll be a key part of that, but yeah, yeah, he's still essentially just roster padding at this point, so wasn't an enormous surprise that he took the 
you know, he was looking up at the lights after Big Shuge killed him. I know. Uh, uh, talking about the French doors as well. I actually saw Sensor Volta yesterday. Uh, uh, oh, the, was that the GWF show? Yeah, GWF show. He, uh, he challenged Tim Strubing for the Berlin title. Didn't win, but damn good match. Like, that one's up on YouTube mm. as well. Like, that's actually a, uh, another one that, like, you should probably, like, if you're interested in, like, seeing Sensor Volta or, like, Tim Strubing, who's, like, a like, young and up, like, up-and-coming guy, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's well worth a watch. And the same show as well had Axel Fischer versus Mike DiVecchio. That was also another great match. Big Mike D. Yeah. He's my man. Yeah. That, that, that match rocked as well. Um, oh, but... Yeah, because uh, GWF don't have my, my hero, Kodai Nozaki, anymore because he's back in Kyushu Pro. Yeah. I saw him live. I, I, think, drew... I think I was one of the few ones that knew who he was. <laughs> he drew over four... They drew over 4,000 people on Sunday. Kyushu Pro. Yeah. To their anniversary show. Tajiri is a, is a draw. Yeah, and Minoru Suzuki. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, mind, I mean, yes, you're saying that Minoru Suzuki is a draw, but how much did he help Glade on the show? Uh, oh, yeah, so all. But yeah. again, never mind. But yeah, <laughs> I, I really want to watch that Kyushu Pro show mostly because I love Nozaki because he's just like the most peculiarly built individual. Yes. He's probably the wrestler that looks most like me in terms of dimensions. <laughs> So I'm like, I kind of have to root for him. Um, you have to live vicariously yeah. through Nozaki. <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, I'm not taking bumps. He can take them for me. So. <laughs> Fair enough. That's what I'm doing with Okada. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I'll just slag everybody else off for not taking bumps properly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, then. Next match. Suwama and Dan Tamara. Defeat Yuji Nagata and Ryuki Honda in 12 minutes and 56 seconds uh, after Suwama pinned Honda uh, after her last ride. So, this was kind of a baffling result given what we're going to do like later because kind of after this, mm. kind of Honda and Nagata like, are going to go on a bit of like a run. So, it was very weird that like like in the moment, I was like I, in the moment, I was also like, okay, like Honda's losing here and it's kind of shit, but whatever it's not like they've put him recently but then they started pushing him right on the next show so yeah i i really didn't get this result in hindsight it's baffling yeah so i i had the same thing because at the time i didn't think anything of it i thought you know basic three-star tag team match you know makes sense obviously because suama challenged for the triple crown at the end of this show but yeah now that nagata and honda are number one contenders for the tag titles it's one of those you look back on it's like why have you booked it yeah like if you want them to chat why like wasn't you know like hannah batter or you know takawa mori i know he was he was defending the six man but yeah. like weren't there two other bottom of the card pin eaters that you could have booked them against to just give them a quick yeah. easy win or if you wanted to put suama over Weren't there other people that him and Dan Tamora could have beat? Yeah, that's actually what I've been thinking is you switch around like participants for match two and three. Yeah, exactly. Because like, it's not like you like build up Ishikawa for anything with this win, right? So you could no, have he's just already put, had his triple have, crown match this Yeah, year. exactly. So you could have just done like Suwama and Dan versus like Ishikawa and Ayabe. And Ayabe takes the fall and then you do like Honda and Nagata versus Sato and Blanc and Blanc can still take the loss there. So Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Or so the, uh, any other way around as well works. Like this was just weird. Okay, and then in the All Japan TV six-man tag team title, there's prestigious titles. Takao Omori, ATM, and Black Man's Array defeat Yoshitatsu, the almighty Inoue, and Lofer in 30 minutes and 33 free seconds uh, when ATM pinned Lofer with a diving body press for the second defense. Whatever. <laughs> like, I, I don't think I even have anything to say here. Like, this is... Just it's sort a of nothing like silly, match. harmless fun. Yeah. yeah, like no one in the match is any good. Well, like Black Man's Ray is fine, but he's like a jobber. Yeah. So Amori's washed. ATM's, you know, a money mark. Yes. So it's like and a money mark that shit. was also more entertaining with the previous gimmick he had as Carbellito. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yoshitatsu is um, a drizzling shit. Yeah. And then, yeah, the almighty in a way and Lauther. It was I never good. No. So it's like, this wasn't any good, and it was probably too long, but it also just, like, it didn't offend me. Um, that was definitely the match where I was like, I've definitely got some stuff I need to tidy up and, like, admin to do. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, on, and I was like, oh, ATM has won. Great. Lovely yeah. stuff. Yeah. What's up next? Oh look, here comes here comes Peck Daddy Satoshi Kojima. Right, I'll sit back down now. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, and then let's go right to that match. Uh, so in that sex man tag match, Kenta Miyahara, Ryu Inoue, and Rising Hayato defeat Satoshi Kojima, El Lindemann, and Soma Watanabe in 15 minutes and four seconds. When Miyahara pinned Watanabe with a shutdown suplex hold. Yeah, uh, I thought this was really this was really good. On the other end, like I thought this was a really fun six-man tag match, just like really good action, just bam, bam, bam. I really like the interactions that Kento and Kojima have, where it's just because Kojima is like one of the few people that can get bigger reactions than Kento, and Kento just absolutely can't deal with that. Where he he is the sun, like nobody is allowed to shine brighter than him, and it just annoys him to no end when anyone else gets cheered louder than him. So that just makes their, like, and the crowd picks up on that as well. And in response, just makes their reactions to Kojima a lot louder as well. So I think which really, like, helps the whole thing as well. So, no, I thought this was really good. Yeah. Well, well actually, I, I won't say what I was going to say. I'll save that for later. Um, yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. Just, like, really good energy. Everyone in the match is good. Uh, I love Ryo in a way. Yeah. I, I like genuinely he's grown on me massively and obviously we'll talk about his his junior title challenge in the, the next night like, mm-hmm. he's genuinely just really good now and i think he's they've got something in him and i think generally like their crop of juniors at the moment with atsuki rising hayato who i think has come on massively i used mm-hmm. to think he was terrible uh, but he's really good now and in a way i think they've got the core of something really really good um, I think that's just true of the promotion in general because they've obviously got Anzai, Yuma Aoyagi, Hokuto Mori, Kento's still there. Mm-hmm. Like they've got a really good promotion and they've been good all year. Um, and it's just nice to see them bubbling up somebody like in a way for this title challenge. Like he's still going to be a bottom feeder the rest of the time, but this was fun, and this was fun seeing him in there in the ring Kojima. So, 
yeah, a lot of fun, really good energy, and yeah. Yeah, and it is kind of like just, starting just, to show in attendance as well, right? Because like the unfortunate thing is that like there is like somewhat of like an upper like limit for them, right? Just because they don't like without that corporate power that like other companies in Japan have. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Noah's owned by like one of the biggest media conglomerates in the country and all Japan is owned by a guy that like got lucky making a movie once. And this is a little bit of a difference in means. But yeah. I think it is like starting to like pay off for them, like the like work that they've done over the years, like building these guys up. Yeah. And all the shows are fun. Yeah. Like I've not watched a single All Japan show this year and wanted to skip stuff. Whereas like the last couple of years, they've been a real trudge. Yeah. Whereas this year has been so much fun and you can see that it's being booked well and they're booking the younger guys on the come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun. Um, and I mean, obviously talking about younger guys, obviously, you know, the Triple Crown main event, Aoyagi making his first defence against Hokuto Omori, which, you know, two guys with a combined age of like 50. I think that might be West. one of the youngest. I, I haven't looked it up, but that might be one of the youngest like triple crown matches ever. Yeah, whereas when <laughs> when Yuji Nagata defended against Shuji Chikawa, it was like a combined <laughs> age of 100. So yeah, <laughs> uh, that was fun. So yeah, so let's get to that match. So for the main event of Destro, the triple crown match, uh, Yumae Uyagi defeats Hokuto Omori in 20 minutes and 4 seconds with the Fool for his first defense. Um, yeah. I thought this was good, not great. Um, I think Hokuto, I, I like Hokuto. I think he's one of the guys with the best character work in all Japan. But I think he just isn't the guy that is going to give you like top-of-the-line matches. Which obviously is going to be an issue for him in a promotion like All Japan that does put a lot of stake in like in-ring work. Uh, but I thought he did well here, and I thought it was a solid enough defense for like Yuma, but it was also hurt by the fact that like I mean obviously Hokuto wasn't going to win, so there wasn't really a whole lot of drama here, but it was still like a solid first defense. I feel like basically Yuma did what he had to do in the match, and then he put away his opponent, and it made him seem like a dominant champion basically. Yeah, so I've never been a massively high on Hokuto. I thought he was good here, but I don't think he's credible enough with the fans or just like you know, as someone watching it, he doesn't feel credible enough as a title challenger. Yeah, yet now I don't know if he was supposed to be in that. Position, I feel like it was supposed to be Ryuki Honda, but then they did the weird KO, not a KO <laughs> angle thing, and then it was Amori in this slot. Um, also, I have no idea how it would have been booked at the top of the card if Ashino hadn't broken his arm in the Champion Carnival final, because I don't know if he was going to beat Nagata or he was always going to lose, and then Aoyagi would have won. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Various things probably put Amori in this spot, and I I just don't think from a credibility point of view he was ready, which hurt it from the believability and viability of him winning point of view. 
But I also like the fact that it wasn't 50-50. Like, the early stages of this, Yuma was like a dick, where he basically was just like, <laughs> I'm better than you. And he was kind of cocky and... He was kind of gesticulating with the crowd when he'd got him in like a, you know, got a wrist lock or whatever. And he's kind of like, oh, Hokuto, you can't get out of this, you know, and then mm-hmm. whatever, which was good. Because I think if they just tried to go for like a 50-50 classic main event, it, it definitely wouldn't have worked. Whereas I think what they did, they told a good story within the 20 minutes they had. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it it felt right for Yuma's first defense, if that makes sense. So probably a three and a half star match, but the booking probably not the best thing in the world. But at the same time, it was a good opportunity to try something and do something a bit different when you're doing a weekend double shot like they were. Yeah. And I still think they put a reasonable number in for that show. So, you know, onwards and upwards, and it'll be a learning experience for both guys. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, because I feel like this was a better choice for him for his first defense than Suwama, because he can't have this kind of match with Suwama. And I think you do want to like, if this is a long title reign, then I think you do want to get have Yuma get like a like dominant defense in first before you like put him against like a get kind of get like mauled a bit by a bear like Suwama. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. But I think like. Good show top to like. I mean, good. No, good show might be. I mean, it was a solid show. Like, I don't think there was anything like really like blow away on the uh, on the show, but it, it went by really quickly. Is what I w- would say definitely. Like nothing. Yeah, it dragged. was a breeze. It was a breeze yeah. to watch. So, you know, I can't complain. I think these little six match shows are a lot of fun. Um, and generally, I just enjoy shows where there's like not massive gaps between the matches. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know this is a poor example, but you watch like SummerSlam and it's like match, 50 minutes of ads, <laughs> 12 minutes to make their way to the ring. And then it's like Michael Cole squawking at you. And it's just like, oh my God. Like if you skip everything, it takes as long as these shows do, but these just feel like in, out, couple of hours, easy watch, nothing's terrible. So Yeah. Perfect. Perfect stuff. Okay, and then for the next show, uh, on the very next day, in Osaka, Edeon Arena number 2, in front of 920 fans, which, that's a great number. Uh, That's actually, like, the largest attendance in the number 2 this year. So, Mm. like, I think big kudos to All Japan on that one. Uh, I think they can pat themselves on the back for that number. Uh, and yeah, like I said, it really like seems like it's starting to pay off for them. Or like attendance is like showing that like they've done a good job like building guys up. Uh, they've actually even outdone like they've actually like not like I said they like out on their own number uh, earlier this year uh, from the Champion Carnival. Uh, but not only that, but they also drew better than like when uh, New Japan did a double shot there for the best of the Super Junior. So and I think anytime you can outdraw New Japan, I think that's. That, that's a yeah. feather in your cap. Absolutely. As long as it's not like a row two show, which again, like that's tournament shows, and yeah, not exactly. like yeah, they put like nothing on top there either. Like uh, one of the shows had like El Desperado versus Robbie Eagles on top, and the other one had uh, Titan versus Hiromu on top. So you know. Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not 
low like night four or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a good number. Yeah. It's a good number and it was a good card again. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, three title matches, the return of Bodiga. Um <laughs> and clearly the guy that is the actual Ramza. draw here. Oh absolutely. He is the reason that number's there. Him and him alone. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, like I said, really good number. I think really uh, encouraging signs for all Japan in terms of attendance at the moment. Okay, so then let's go into the show. So in the opener, Atsuki Oyagi and Soma Watanabe defeat uh, Ryuya Matsufusa and Isla Blanc in 9 minutes and 15 seconds uh, when Watanabe pinned Blanc after a Firebird splash. Uh, yeah, again, solid opener, and we kind of continue the whole, like, Isla Blanc is, like, taking a slump thing, but just I think a really nice, like, high-flying opener, just good action to get the crowd going, uh, which always a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And it, I think on the point of, of Blanc, it's nice to see these European guys getting opportunities with All Japan, Big Japan. Obviously, Noah have, have brought guys in as well. But, like, you see Big Japan have brought in Tristan Archer for their most recent sweeper shows. And he's looked really good there. I'm a big, I'm a big Tristan Archer fan, mm-hmm. and I know Big Japan are bringing in Leighton Buzzard later in the year as well. So he's someone obviously I've seen a lot of, having probably watched more ICW mm-hmm. in Scotland than anybody else. Um, but he's also been getting Rev Pro bookings this year. He's improved massively, um, and it's it's just nice seeing them get those opportunities. Yeah, to do that stuff, especially obviously with COVID, like these rosters were so stuffy because it was the same guys all the time. So they just give a totally different dynamic and make matches fresher and also make these guys better. And then, you know, not everyone's going to be a star. Like not everyone's going to pan out, i.e. like Lancelot in Noah, (laughs) but you do find a Jack Morris or Mm -hmm. you do find, you know, a Francesco Akira when he was in all Japan a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So, I think it's just really cool from that point of view. And I guess it's a sign in many ways that we're back, if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. So hopefully the uh, the White Eagle stays there for a bit longer and, yeah, he brings over Senza at some point. I mean, Senza would be great, but there's actually another guy. Like, if he wants a Japan tour, I hope he gets one because I think we talked about him earlier as well. I think Mike D, like, Mm. Needs to get booked to Japan. Like him and whether Big Japan, that, I think oh, would be fun. God, him and Big Japan would like him and all Japan would also be great. Let's be honest. I think he would. Like, yeah. I think he fits in really well. Like pretty much everywhere. Like, but yeah, Big Japan, him in the strong division. I think he would be great for that. Like, I think, but I think him and all Japan. Like, yeah, you you put that guy against like Kento, or put that guy against like Yuma, like. See him, like, watch him, like, throw around Suwama would be, like, something to see as well. <laughs> yeah, or if he hadn't run away and left us, uh, Yuji Okabayashi yeah. and Mike D. Oh, God. That's that's the, make that's that a tag sort of team like... and have them dominate the entirety of Japan. Just win all of the belts. Yeah. Or just, like, a travelling trio of those two and Daisuke Sakamoto. <laughs> yeah. We, fi- uh, we finally yeah. we finally get what we what we were denied when Walter decided to go into retirement instead of getting booked in Big Japan. Exactly, exactly. We were we were robbed. What's that guy doing these days? Uh, uh, no idea. No idea. Uh, yeah, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just cool seeing these guys getting opportunities to be honest, so Yeah. Um yeah. Probably get more of that. But yes, so go to the next match and we have the aforementioned Bodyguard. Uh him and Izanagi defeat Takao Mori and Black Man's Ray in eight minutes forty three seconds. Uh, when Izanagi uh, pinned Mensure after Omori uh, accidentally hit uh, Mensure with an axe bomber. Um, yeah, I mean, comedy match, it was fine. Uh, the highlight was Bodyguard singing himself to the ring, as it always is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're 55. I can't be expecting the fella to be like, you know, Working super hard, but yeah, it was just nice seeing him back in all Japan. Is is an Aggie? Is he going to be around more? Ah, uh, no. I, I think was it was he one of the, was he one of the ones who like buggered off because of Tajiri? Yeah, no, no, no. He wasn't the Tajiri guy. He quit on the spot because of uh, because of uh, Nosawa. Ah, right. Okay. Oh, of course. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, like basically, he, he had he had a back. match in the opener, and then Osawa popped up on the show, and he walked out. <laughs> and then, yeah. Well, yeah. In theory, he could come back. Yeah, I mean, now in theory, he could come back, but I also feel like he's he's heavily involved with uh, Osaka Pro. So yeah, I think while that is going on, champion, yeah. yeah, he he think he's gonna be busy there, and I mean, he also realistically has done everything he possibly could have done in all Japan. He even got his gold yeah. watch reign and all of that. So I feel like his. They finished his story. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, he finished so, yeah. his story. He, he won the title that his dad, Dusty never Izanagi, won. never won. <laughs> Made him proud. Made him proud. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So then in the next match, Suwama... Uh, Izanagi, the son of a plumber. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe. Well, the I don't know. of a plumber. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Anyway. Me. <laughs> Maybe he's the son, he's the son of Eagle's mask. So. Nay, Tiger's mask. Sorry, wait. I keep no, I keep I keep confusing mask. his gimmicks. He's so many mask gimmicks. I think I lost like track. I think one. he's worked, he's wrestled as both of them. So was he both of them? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. Yeah. Any, anyway, uh, next match. Uh, Suwama defeats Yuma Enzai in eleven minutes twenty two seconds with a last ride. I actually kinda expected this to go to a draw again, but. With like Yuma going to the N one and everything, and I feel like they might have started this to like use this to like start off like the Suwama and Yuma tag team that I still think is coming. Mm. But obviously, like Suwama got the win, and like that also made a lot more sense, like based on the fact that like yes, Suwama uh, challenged for the triple crown and all of that. But yeah, solid match, but also think nothing special either. Yeah, it was fine. I think I assumed he once he challenged for the triple crown the night before. I assumed yeah. he was going to win, um, especially because that was Human's last show before the N one. So, um, yeah, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. So, mm-hmm. heated up Suama in the right way uh, for the title match. So, you can't really ask for a lot more to mm-hmm. be honest. Okay, and then in the next match, Yuji Nagata and Ryuki Honda defeat Shuji Ishikawa and Renayabe. In 12 minutes and 34 seconds, uh, when uh, Nagata uh, tapped out Ayabe with the Nagata lock 54. Yep, another solid match. And again, 
one of those where like it made like the whole decision about dropping out dropping them out on the night before like kind of baffling um but yeah solid win i think it got them back on track and i think it i think it showed that like actually the two of them actually have some decent chemistry that i think if they keep them together a bit longer i think they can develop something there and i think putting him with a guy like nagata i think is a good thing for honda because he can definitely learn from him because while he, yeah. while he because honda is still really long, young like honda is 23 like he's still like he, he will get there like i think like as opposed to like inamura like i'm not worried about honda's future like they are a bit inconsistent with his board game but again he's 23 he'll get there yeah and i think with him it's the same point i made that you know if he had been the one to challenge the night before he would have had the same thing for me as Hokuto, where he doesn't feel credible yet mm-hmm. as a as a triple crown challenger. Um, but I think teaming with Nagata, who has been nothing short of brilliant in all Japan this year, mm-hmm. um, I think is going to be a massive, massive boon for him. And look, will they win? Could they win? And then that sets up dissension between Kento and Yuma, who are presumably going to face each other in the Royal Road. So... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shunned, uh, stunned if Yuji and Yuki win those tag titles. Um, it'd be kind of funny if they do. And then obviously you're presumably going to have the, um, uh, what's it called, the tag tournament at the end of the year. The Real World Tag League. Real World Tag League, yeah. Yeah, you can put someone together in that. Maybe that's Suwama and Yumaranzo. They win the Real World Tag League. I don't know. Um but yeah, I think it's a fun use for both guys and would go a long way to kind of developing that credibility for Honda, who, as you say, is young, but he's obviously someone they see something in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's what a veteran like Nagata should be used for. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Uh, fun fact, uh, Omori and uh, Honda actually made their debuts within two and a half months of each other. Wow. Who do you think go. who who has more experience? Who 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 made the debut first? Well, Amori's older. Mm-hmm. So I would assume him because he's older. No, uh, actually Honda. Uh, Honda made his debut in September, second uh, of September, uh, two thousand eight, and Hokuto Amori was the seventeenth of November, twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah, both 2018, sorry, Honda was in 2018, it would have been a literal oh, wow. trial. No, it's, I think, oh. I think people might have forgotten this, but like Honda was a wrestler, he's a wrestler one trainee originally. Oh yeah, because he would have been one of the last ones, right? Yeah, and then he came into All Japan and they basically just re-young boyed him. Yeah. And like made him run, like basically do like a speed run through like being a young boy before like making him like a full on like roster member yeah. because now they can claim that he is like their guy like similarly like how like okada technically didn't start off in new japan like he's, he's a Toriyama he's a guy. yeah he's a dragon system guy <laughs> the greatest dragon system wrestler ever i i'll stand by that <laughs> opinion um but then they like basically like put him in in the dojo and like made him run through that so now he's their guy and that's basically what all japan did with honda oh Okay, so yeah, I definitely wouldn't have. I definitely wouldn't have said that. I would have assumed because Amori's, Amori's like he's not sneaky old, 
but he's like he's nearly thirty. So. He's twenty eight. Like he is older than Yuma Aoyagi. Yeah, he's older than me. So, uh, whereas yeah, Honda's got a couple of years under yeah. me. So, yeah. No, I look. I, th- I think he's coming along nicely, and I think a little tag run will probably do him the world of good, and obviously yeah. helps them keep using Nagata as a draw, which mm-hmm. he definitely has been. Um, I just love him as well. I'm a I'm a Blue Justice Mark, so yeah. it's nice to see him being pushed. And so. good for good for his body as well to not be in like singles matches because I feel like that Ishikawa match took a lot out of him. <laughs> Even with all he of the lying so on the floor, he was it like was great. It them. was great, but yeah, holy shit! Oh, I don't know yeah. if they should have taken those. Spot. It, I was amazing, but like man, both of them must have been hurting so bad <laughs> next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ishikawa definitely needed like every inch of his body covered in Voltarol and yeah. deep heat the next day. Yeah, yeah, he's not quite Tenzan, or like he creaks when he moves. But no. uh, I think one of my friends the other day. Uh, we were talking about Tomoaki Honma hmm? and he said when he slaps his forehead he's not firing up for the Kokeshi he's trying to make sure the blood flow's still going <laughs> and he's making like, sure yeah. that it doesn't just fall off yeah exactly uh, yeah so that's uh, yeah that's what I would go yeah <laughs> but no I, I, I think it's Nagata's been brilliant and I think the kind of system they've got now for the older New Japan guys where it's like you can kind of go and do what you want um like we might need you occasionally for stuff, um, or like you know, like Kojima, at, you know, he went to Forbidden Door to mm-hmm. to lose to Phil, but other than that, you're free to go to all Japan and do what you want, or you you can go to Noah and do what you want, and you know, there's no real pressure or whatever, and they can kind of enjoy themselves, and they feel invigorated because they're obviously getting to do more meaningful stuff yeah. than they would be in New Japan, where obviously. Gedo is trying to push the younger guys. So, mm-hmm. so I think I think really it's like a win all around for everyone. Yeah. Okay, so then for the next match for the All Asia Tag Team Titles in a barbed wire bat Megaton current blast death match, Atsushi Onida and Yoshitatsu defeat Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamura in 11 minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, when uh, Yoshitatsu pinned ta- uh, Tamura after a double current blast bat attack for the fifth defense of the titles. And this is going to keep going. Um, I still like this one, but I think there's definitely diminishing returns on these uh, blast bat matches now. Uh, they are something different on the card, but yeah, I don't know. I think they kind of need to wrap this up sooner rather than later. We'll see if they will. This also was kind of weird because Sato and Tamara were wearing geese. I'm not sure why. I guess maybe because that covers more of their body. Yeah, because Anita know. was basically wrapped like in double-sided sticky tape yeah. all over his arms and stuff. These, I mean, yes, because these... he literally like broke. He has a broken wrist. Yeah, these matches are not for me. Like. I don't, I'm not tuning in to All Japan TV for a firework <laughs> display. And it's like, the problem is, obviously Anita's like physically very limited and Yoshitatsu is pants. So it means there's an awful lot of standing around 
waiting for stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this just wasn't any good. Like I, <laughs> I didn't enjoy this at all. And I was just like, please just end. Like, kaboom, bang, someone pin someone. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, Anita's pulled him out of the way. And it's like, oh, come on. But, yeah, either way, I feel like they've got to lose him soon. Like, yeah, as you say, there can't be much more for them to do. But at least it's something different with those titles, which it's kind of the same with the six-man. Like, they don't have to matter, in a sense, because they are, like, they're not throwaway titles. I don't think yeah. any title should be considered a throwaway title, but they're basically an opportunity for you to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it could be an opportunity to, to belt up somebody else, you know, do something with the juniors or something. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Anita's body's probably going to expire soon as well. So you probably <laughs> yes. should take him off him before yeah, he, like, like he'd, I don't want to say he dies in the ring, but like it might happen. Also, I love Hikaru Sato, but can we have someone else challenge for the belts now? Like literally, yeah, out he's of just going to go for like a rotating cast out of like the friends. five defenses. He's in three of them. Like, mm. get someone else in there. I I love Sato, but like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but may- maybe one of them will actually work. Maybe he will convince Suwama to do it. Well, maybe maybe the Saitos, maybe the Saitos yeah. do it. I mean, I actually fully expected them to win the titles when they returned from excursion, and they just never did. Yeah, well, at least these are being used, unlike the uh, the Gaora TV one. Yeah, which yeah. appears to have disappeared into the ether. Yeah, I I mean, Minoru Tanaka sometimes doesn't even come out with it anymore. Uh, yeah, probably yeah. in a bin somewhere. So yeah. Exodus <laughs> Jim Duggan will find it. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, and then for the next one, for the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight title, L. Lindemann defeats Ryo Inoue in 12 minutes, 19 seconds with a German suplex hold for his first title defense. Um, I thought I thought this was really good as well. A bit, little bit disappointed with the L. Lindemann matches in All Japan. Like, mm. like I was a little bit disappointed with his when he won the title for Matsuki, and it was... I, it's Maybe it's a victim of high expectations. I thought Ryo Inoue looked really good, but it, I don't yeah. know, it feels like Lindemann is holding back. Don't know why. But I, yeah, I, I thought Inoue looked really, really good here. Yeah, I thought he just did a great, like, underdog role and just taking a lot of heat from, like, basically throughout the entire match. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It feels like a Lindemann felt just like a step off, which I think held the match back a little bit. But still, like, really solid, like, title defense for him. And I think it really yeah. showed, as you said, like, there is something here with Inoue that, like, you can use in the future where, like, like he's a, he's another one of, like, the guys that, like, there is something here in this, in this junior division that I think can be really good. And again, he's another one of those guys that is still really, really young. Like, he's mm. 20. Like, and it's easy to forget because, again, we had, like, Yuma Anzai being, like, the super rookie from last year. But again, Inoue also only is, like, a guy that debuted last year in January. But still, like, for him to get a title match this quickly, like, shows you that, like, they they see something in him. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I thought this was really good, actually. I think the match where El Lindemann won the title for Matsuki, I didn't enjoy that, really, because... 
there was a, a leapfrog attempt early on, mm-hmm. which they botched in that match. And from then on, the whole thing just kind of felt like one step out. Um, whereas this one had a, a far more compelling narrative to it, where El Lindemann was like this horrible, like crafty, like he's sneaking around the ring, cackling, <laughs> attacking poor Inouye, like hiding under the ring. And Inouye's like this human wasp, like buzzing around, kicking him. He's all over the place. Um, I just thought it was so much fun. Um, I think I went three and three quarters, just shy of four stars. Um, because I felt they had a little bit more in them. Because I mean, they only got about twelve minutes, so I thought there was probably more there. But yeah, this was definitely better than the uh, Matri won the title for Matsky. Um, and obviously we know where uh, Lindemann's reign is is going now. But obviously mm. we'll get onto that in a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. He. He definitely feels for me that Lindemann's lost a bit of the luster that he had last year when obviously he was in the best of the Super Juniors and he looked really good and I thought New Japan were going to try and steal him. Um, But he feels like he's cooled off massively since then. Um, And I'm waiting for him to kind of really grab me with Mm. something. This match got close, but it just kind of was missing a little bit of something. but yeah, in a way, looked really good here, um, and I'm really excited for his kind of prospects moving forward because, yeah, they've clearly got something with him, and he's very different from Atsuki and Rising Hayato as well in terms of the way he works and the way he comes across, which is good yeah. because obviously it means that those three, as the future of your division, their matches are all going to have a very different dynamic, which is obviously a positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he really is that embracing that like Kawada Junior like style. Mm. So, yeah, I, I'm. But if he really wants to do the full Kavada like experience, he needs to get like, I don't know, like seventy five percent more grumpier than he has now. <laughs> yeah, he's still got the youthful exuberance and yeah. excitement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He also probably not like needs to like. Okay, this sounds really mean, but he probably needs to like get his face bashed in because he's too handsome to be Kavada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's not got the uh, the chiseled face no. that he needs. Yeah, maybe either he gets to get beaten up real bad, or he just needs to like sit by the seaside and drink like hard liquor for like ten years. Yeah, or just like you know, someone will break your nose, and then you'll be sort of well on the way. Yeah. Okay, uh, but then let's go to the main event for the All Japan World Tag Team Titles: Kenta Miyahara and Yuma Aoyagi defeat Minoru Suzuki and Hokuto Omori. In 25 minutes, 43 seconds, when Miyahara pins Omori with a shutdown suplex hold for their second defense. I thought this was great. I went four stars on this. I saw some people go, like, even way higher than that. I saw people basically say that this is, like, one of the best matches in all all Japan this year. I don't think it really got quite to that level, but I still thought this was, like, just an excellent showing. I think Omori looked better here than he did in the Triple Crown match. Uh, I, th- I think he that I think that might be more of his calling, honestly. Like I think he might be a guy that like maybe he's just like a tag guy, and and like especially in all Japan, there is no shame in that. I don't think there's any shame in that generally, but I think especially in all Japan, where like the tag titles are like the genuinely second most important title in the promotion, hmm. and are actually like put in like main events and like you are expected to draw. I think that's still a really good spot for him to be in. So, and I think after this, I feel like 
maybe that's where like his future lies and like where he should be because he just feels like a better worker in attack match than he is in a singles yeah. match. Yeah, I think there's less burden on him in a tag match. You know, he doesn't have to be in all the kind of in-between moments. He doesn't have to nail all of that stuff because there's three other people in the ring that can can help with that stuff and the, the story kind of tells itself. Um, but yeah, it was nice to see Minoru Suzuki's seven-month run in All Japan finally amount to something. Yeah. <laughs> given that he came in at the New Year shows and kind of started this semi-faction with Amorian... Uh, Naruki Doi, and then they've kind of done nothing as a group <laughs> of any note until now. Um, yeah, I thought this was really good. I didn't think it was as good as the match where uh, Kento and Yuma won the belts from uh, Keno and Manabu Soya. I think that's probably up there with, with Kento and Yuji Nagata as my best All Japan match this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I went notebook on this one as well. I thought it was just really good. Kento and Yuma are a fantastic team. Crowd love them. Um, and it's going to be really fun when they lose the titles and then fight each other. So, yeah, um, yeah, this was just fun, a really good main event. And I would say overall, like a really entertaining show mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I, I would agree on that as well. Like you had the great main event there. Uh, you had the junior title match. And I think you had like a bunch of like other like fun stuff on here. And again, it was another like breezy watch as well. I don't think anything overstayed is welcome here either. Obviously, like as you said, like your mileage may vary in the all age attack team title match, but yeah. Uh again, I think and like I said, like the number was really good as well that they drew here. So again, another success for all Japan. And then let's go to the final show. Uh the from the All Japan Summer Action Series twenty twenty three. Uh happening just yesterday on the sixth of August twenty twenty three. From Makuhari Mesa International Exhibition Hall number seven, 1,038 fans, which again is comparable what to what uh, New Japan like. It's less than what New Japan drew in the same building, but it's not far off from what New Japan drew there. Uh, also for uh, Fantastica Mania and Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, so I think anytime you are like within striking distance of New Japan, I think. That's success. So, cool. yeah, good job uh, by All Japan uh, on this number here. Uh, the setup looked a little weird, and I think they mic'd the crowd a bit badly, but again, I think you can't really argue with the numbers that they've drawn. Yeah, like, it, it was an enormous-looking building. Um, so, obviously, it kind of... The crowd were very, very spaced out. Um, mm. it, it reminded me, in a way, of the Big Japan show at the Budokan in May when Aoki beat Okabayashi for the Big Big Japan Strong title. And they're doing like a chop exchange on the outside and there's such an enormous gap between the (laughs) ring and the first row of fans. Like Okabayashi chops him and Aoki goes tumbling around the floor and he's basically got enough room to do like an Olympic gymnastics routine. (laughs) It kind of reminded me of that, where everything seemed like miles away from the ring. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was a good number. Uh, it was a really good crowd as well. So um, they love this stuff. And yeah, this was obviously a much longer and deeper card than uh, kind of the last two we've discussed. You know, mm-hmm. 10 matches, a lot of external kind of people 
coming mm-hmm. in with you know a lot of the two AW guys, um, and some of the women as well coming in. So yeah, it's a good number um, and a good show as well. I've not seen all of it, but I've caught up mm-hmm. on uh, caught up on certainly the the back half of the show. So um, some good stuff, and obviously we have got the Royal Road announcement as well. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so uh, let's quickly run through the undercut then. So in the opener, Naruki Doi defeats Ryo Inui in 9 minutes 58 seconds with a Bakatari sliding kick. So yeah, this was a really, really good opener as well. Um, I mean, we just gushed about like Ryo Inui's potential, and I think Doi is still a really, really good worker as well. And so I think these two had like a fun like back-and-forth match, and again, not surprised that Doi gets the win here. Again... Inoue is still really young and really early in his career, so I think he can easily still take losses like this, especially if it is to like a guy the level of Naruki Doi. <laughs> then uh, in the second match, Dan Tamara, Rai, uh, Ryo Kawamura, and Takura Niki defeat Renayabe, Ayla Blanc, and uh, Chicharito Shoki uh, when Niki pinned Shoki after a mad splash. Yep, six man tag match, perfectly acceptable action. Really, again, nothing to write home about. Uh, did like though, like Isla Blanc, like showed like some frustration after being on the losing side again. So, going to be interesting if they like that's like something they develop like a bit further, or maybe we see like a, some like sort of like change in his in-ring style or something like that. But hmm. he's definitely like it seems like that they're wanting to do something here with him. And... Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because he on the next show. Which is the kind of the, the last one before the the Royal Road? Mm-hmm. He's teaming with Rising Hayato against Naruki Doi and Naoki Tanazaki, mm-hmm. um, which you think he might win. That might be his first win, given where Hayato's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, on the first night of the Royal Road, he's in a three-way uh, teaming with Black Menso Ray against Jun Saito and Kono. And also against Mazada and Kaichi Sato. Oh, God. <laughs> so he might get his first win, yeah. but then he's definitely, definitely going to lose yes. what could well be an incredibly ugly match. Yeah, I, I, I'm really curious how that one's going to go, because that's a lot of very contrasting styles. Yeah. And a lot of people that suck. So. Okay, and then, then the next one. Uh, in an All Japan versus a 2AW match, Kengo Mashimo defeats Hokuto Amori in 11 minutes and 33 seconds uh, after a referee stop uh, when uh, Kengo Mashimo had Hokuto Amori in the Mudo. Um, yeah, I'm happy to like see Kengo in All Japan again. I mean, he really was like a very regular guy like a few years ago, and then he kind of like dropped a bit off the map essentially. Um, mm. Yeah, I think he's still pretty decent his theme is still something uh i think i once described it on music of the mat as a cat getting tortured to death on a casio keyboard um (laughs) yeah uh, but he's a good wrestler and i think he did well here with okoto not an amazing match by any by any stretch of the imagination but solid then he lost in the he lost in the fire festival final didn't he uh, Kengo? Yeah, this year. Uh, I think Since he did, he did. yeah. No, is the Fire Festival already over? Yeah. I must have missed that one then. Oh, it's not aired yet. Okay, that's why. Yeah. So he 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 was in the final, 
against Junior Matsunaga. Um, but the final's not airing on Samurai TV until August the 12th. So <laughs> it took place on the 29th, so that was why it was in my head. But yeah, it's not airing for two weeks. So anyway. Yeah, 538 fans. Um, yeah, uh, so then next one, All Japan vs. New Japan. Satoshi Kojima defeats Takao Mori in 10 minutes and 11 seconds with a lariat. Um, yeah, I mean, Takao Mori has kind of slowed down a lot. Um, Kojima is still really good, but wasn't really much to this match, to be honest. Mori got like a little bit of like shine in this match, but not a lot, and it was just kind of a way to like give Kojima a match on like a relatively big show, especially since he since he is going to be in a Royal Road, and I think he will be having a pretty prominent role there. So. Yeah, I felt I felt like with this that they'd wrestled each other in singles matches several times this year. Yeah, I was like, I feel like they definitely wrestled each other in a singles match at least twice before this year. And uh, I then looked on cage match and I completely Mandela affected it because <laughs> the last time they wrestled each other one on one was 2004. Yeah, yeah uh, a while ago <laughs> in the fi- in the zero one fire festival. And earlier in the year, they'd gone to a time limit draw in the Champion Carnival. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so, no. So, no, <laughs> they haven't wrestled before this year, Andrew. Uh, but obviously, yeah, Peck Daddy getting the win, which obviously is what we like to see. Yes. So. Uh, so then they did a bunch of announcements after this match. We're not going to go through like all of them because the show is already long enough as it is. And we're going to talk about all of that stuff as well when it is actually like... Because they announced a lot of stuff that is also really far into the future. So, uh, but I think really like the the ones that were like of note were Eruption uh, challenging for the All Japan TV six man titles, which that already before that even happened is like instantly the best match for that title ever. Uh, so I think that actually has a chance to be good. Um, and then also uh, of note is that Unagi Sayaka uh, came to the match, and she called out Kairi who came to the match, and uh, she is also going to be having a match in All Japan as well. Um, interesting, because there's also really strong rumors that she is going back to WWE. So we'll see if this is actually like something maybe where she comes in a bit more regularly, or if this is just her basically doing a bit more like inter- like fun stuff basically for her before she goes back to retirement. Yeah, well, the thing was, I was confused about this because she announced earlier that she's taken a leave of absence. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether that she's taking a break from wrestling and then she's going to retire or she's taking a break and then she's going to do more stuff for stardom or, or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, her coming into... All Japan is pretty cool for, for one of the shows at Yoyogi. Um, I know Millie McKenzie's working a, a show for for, New, uh, for All Japan mm-hmm. a few days before that as well. So, um, yeah, I'm still not entirely sure where the integration with the women's stuff is going um, in terms of like a title or a direction or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, you know, a novelty and it kind of changes the pace of the show and stuff. Um yeah, I guess the other major announcement was Hiromu coming to All Japan. Yeah. 
No, I mean, just real quick on the women's division as well. Like, yeah, I also don't really see, see like, if there's, like, a big direction here. But I have to say that they've done a better job with it than Noah has. <laughs> and I think it's also better than the Gleet women's division. Mm. So, I mean, at least they've had, like, some a few, like, storylines of, like, Suwama and Dunagi and that kind of stuff. So, at least, they, like, I feel like they've actually tried, like, a bit harder than the other promotions have that have tried this. Yeah. Okay, uh, and then, speaking about that, uh, in a special six-man tag match, Shuji Ishikawa and uh, Team 200 <laughs> Kilogram, Chihiro Hashimoto and you defeat uh, Taishi Takizawa, Maya Yukihi, and Ayame Sasamura in 11 minutes, 15 seconds, when you uh, pin Sasamura after a last ride. Uh, yeah, I thought this was really fun. Uh, I think I think Ishikawa and like uh, Chihiro and you, I think they make a really fun like six six man tag team. <laughs> like in terms of like having like an intergender team, I think they work about as well as you can. And actually, okay, now that I actually think about it, what are actually the chances that like Eruption like win the titles, and then we get Eruption and like this team? going for the titles. Now, that is instantly going to be the best match for that title. <laughs> so, yeah, now I've, now I've kind of, now I'm, I think I'm talking myself into a shoot, but you know what? Like, I, I really hope that happens because I think that actually would be something really fun to do and you actually, like, have a title and, like, something, like, to sink your teeth and there was the women's division. Mm. So, yeah, no, but I thought this match was good. Yeah, I, I haven't. Seen oh yeah, that. oh yeah, right. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I think kind of the tag stuff is is where Shuji's at best now, given his physical limitation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the women's stuff with all Japan has felt far better integrated. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Noah stuff. It's been like here's a women's match on like, you know, their biggest show of the month. But then on the road shows, um, the smaller ones there's no women's mm. stuff on there. And then you get to the bigger one and it's like, here's a tag team match with, you know, Hibiscus, me and Jazzy Yang. And it's like, <laughs> great. Like, cool. w- what are we Bang. doing? Um, yeah. And look, I don't know that a title belt is the answer. Um, I, I feel like some kind of steer on what the project is supposed to be would, mm. would be good. But certainly within all Japan, they felt far better integrated. And I guess that's the main thing when it feels like it's a tag on or you feel like you have to, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really work. Whereas, you know, with the all Japan stuff like Unagi and, you know, the, the women who've come over from colors and stuff, it's felt a lot more seamless. Um, so yeah, I mean, that would be cool. Yeah. Again, if they want to make the six, six person titles feel different, uh, yeah. Shuji Shikawa and, and you being involved in that would be quite fun. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all aboard that train, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then uh, in the Makuhari Mesa is on fire. <laughs> Tornado Bunkhouse Megaton Current Blast death match. Atsushi Onida, Hikaru Sato and Miss Mongol defeat Unagi Sayaka, Saki and Yoshitatsu in 12 minutes and 30 seconds. When Sato pinned Yoshitatsu after a double current explosion bad hit. Yeah, I mean, it's basically it was the same match as like the <laughs> Osaka show, just as a six man match. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I like I said, I, I've generally been like more someone that like likes these like current best attachments, but I wasn't really like 
anything to this. Yeah, just <laughs> meh. <laughs> yeah, I that was where I turned on the video file mm -hmm. as it was like a big bang, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and then I'm like desperately trying to fast forward to like Eugene Nagata walk into the ring, and I'm like, here we go. Now I'm in. <laughs> now enough. I'm in. Okay, and then speaking of, Yuji Nagata and Ryuki Honda defeat Jun Saito and Rei Saito in 12 minutes and 40 seconds when uh, Honda pinned Jun after hitting him with the final event. And yeah, I thought this was another like good way to build up uh, Honda and Nagata for a tag title mm -hmm. challenge. Uh, also, just impressive like power stuff from Honda. I mean, getting Jun up for that final event, <laughs> like that takes some real power. Like, that's a big dude. So I yeah. thought that was a really good choice for, like, the finish. Because he easily could have just had, like, Nagata, like, submit one of the Saitos. But I think this, like, puts over Honda in a really good way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was nice. And it it sort of felt like a number one contenders match without mm -hmm. officially being one. I know we had one later in the show, but this kind of felt like a, an unofficial um, one of those. And, yeah. As I said, this this Nagata and Honda team, I think there's something there, and it's, I'm keen on it. So, uh, yeah, I genuinely want them to win the titles now. I'm yeah. like convinced that that is the direction that I want to go in. Yeah, so, no, no, I th I thought it would be a good team to like put the titles on, because that way you can also kind of like split them as well, and you don't have to have like Yuma work like double shots and everything. So, yeah, yeah, it's probably like good for like. You must like long-term help as well, and give Honda something to do. Uh, yeah. So then, in the next match, All Japan versus 2EW, Kento Miyahara defeats Ayato Yoshida 16 minutes and one second with a shutdown suplex hold. <clears throat> yeah, I thought this was really good, and it just made me like, like they should just poach Ayato Yoshida. It's just such a waste for him to just still be stuck in 2EW. I mean, obviously at this point, it has to be his own choice, right? Because yeah, like he's still, he's still not, there. He's he has not been two AW champion anymore. No, he's not two AW champion anymore because he lost that to Kohei Sato yeah. last month. So yeah. in theory, there is no reason that he couldn't be more of an All Japan regular. Um, I thought this was great. I like mm -hmm. genuinely, really, really good. Kento's obviously always brilliant, mm -hmm. but Yoshida was presented as his equal. Um. So this kind of felt like a big time main event style match, um, but obviously compressed into a far shorter period. Um, but yeah, Yoshida felt like a big deal. Some really, really fun exchanges towards the end. And then, yeah, Kento got the win. So shade under, shade under four stars with me, but this was great. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I had the same thought process watching it where from the moment he made his entrance and he's like shit talking a kid in the crowd, I was like, why isn't Yoshida in there full time? Yeah. Like, he is clearly wasted. Look, I watched 2AW in the pandemic because it was literally the only thing available, but I don't understand. Like, he's talent-wise, he should be doing something more. So as you say, mm -hmm. it's probably his choice, but you would think all Japan, he can't be on big, big money. So yeah. you would have thought they'd have the cash to be able to, like, yeah. And I mean, it's also not like like all Japan runs like a schedule where like I don't know maybe if he has like a job that he likes and he really just wants to do this as like a side thing, 
it's not like all Japan runs a schedule that wouldn't allow him to just. No, they're mostly weekend shows, so there'd be no reason why they couldn't do that. So yeah. it just feels like such a waste of talent for him to just be there like all the time. It's not even that he has to like give up wrestling for 2AW. Like it, he could just always do like a dual thing, like you do with like Rising Hayato. Yeah, he technically exactly. still has a dual contract as well. Yeah. So, yeah, bizarre. Uh, one thing I need to say, though, is his theme really doesn't fit his new look. Like, it really fit his old look. Mm. I don't think it fits his new look at all. Like, no, the new looks like, like yeah. proper, like, edgy emo. Yeah. And it <laughs> doesn't really work, but... No, and then he has this look. triumphant ace music, and I'm like, it really doesn't work. Mm, yeah, you look like a shitbag, so yeah. it doesn't really... <laughs> But look, work on one thing at a time. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Maybe yeah. don't give him a new team theme now on two AW. Like give him a new theme when he goes to all Japan. You know, like they yeah. can they can give just him just get old yeah. ATM. Yeah. Get him to uh, start printing off them notes. Come I mean, all Japan has been really good about giving people themes. Like they've generally been nailing that stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's not. Yeah. Hmm? No one's a patch on. Uh, on uh, Kento, but look, oh. there's a lot of good stuff in there, and yeah, bring him in, make mm-hmm. him a regular, definitely. Okay, and then uh, for the All Japan World Junior Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership Match, Rising Hayato defeats Atsuki Oyagi in 50 minutes and 40 seconds with the Sid Vicious. It is was great. This was this was this was awesome. This was also perfectly the right decision. Like I was actually kind of afraid that they were just gonna go back to like Atsuki versus Lindemann. <laughs> Which really would have felt like a waste. Like I like Atsuki, but like this is rising high at this time. Like I think he should beat Elinaman. I think he should become the champion. And yeah, I, I but I think these two have had better matches, but still was this was still pretty great as well. Like I think I'm borderline four stars. It didn't quite get there for me, but yeah, just great stuff and these two just have amazing chemistry. Yeah. I went I went four stars on this. Hmm? And genuinely, I think what took me there was uh, I've been so sick and tired of wrestlers hitting a move that never wins them a match <laughs> and then doing the full shock and awe face when they get a near fall. Um, and it's definitely like a, a WWE thing that's mm. just kind of cottoned on everywhere else. And I hate it. Like, I hate it so much because it's like, that's literally never won you a match before, so why are you shocked? Whereas here, Hayato did it once, and it was when he hit the kind of sit-down pile driver. Mm-hmm. He then rolled through and hit another one, and then Atsuki kicked out. And you're like, look, I would be shocked if he kicked out because that should be, like, he should be dead after two of them. Um, and then he had the like look on his face, like, "Oh my god, I literally just can't beat this guy." Especially because he'd never beaten Atsuki in a one-on-one match before. So it kind of played into the story of that maybe Atsuki just is better than Rising Hayato. Um, and then yeah, eventually puts him away with Sid Vicious. He's put it all together now, Hayato. Like it took a while, but he is all the way there now. Um, I don't think he's going to replace Atsuki as the ace of the junior division, but he is all the way there now as definitely a 1B to Atsuki's 1A, in my opinion. And, yeah, 
I think that Yogi show uh start of September. Um he's obviously facing Hiromu uh in Nagaoka, but yeah, I think that Yogi show I think he's got to beat Linderman for the title, really. Um because yeah, I mean the Atsuki route would have been Atsuki loses the title to an outsider, he finds his mojo again, beats the outsider. Loses and, to a new yeah, outsider, yeah. and then they do <laughs> Yeah. Whereas this is a chance to do something else. Yeah. And then if you want to put Atsuki in there, you know, or sorry, Rising Hatter in there, look, if they're going to do a junior battle of glory, um, you can build a load of fun stuff out of that, mm. you know, whether that's with an Anne LeBlanc or um, someone else, you've got fresh matchups to do. So, um, yeah, big fan. Really, really good match, and I'm looking forward to Hayato against Lindemann. So, right. thumbs up all round. Yeah, I think I think it was when I was on the Super J cast, and we're talking about all together again. Where I think my comparison there was, and I know it's a lofty comparison, but it's basically like it feels like what New Japan had with like Okada and Naito, where like Atsuki mm. is the Okada and Rising Hayato is the Naito, where like Atsuki is clearly like the ace and the top guy, like the the big top guy, but like Rising Hyatt just like literally just like one or maybe just a half step behind him as like the next guy up essentially. And the women like absolutely love him. Yes. I wouldn't be shocked. Like I don't know how much merch he has, and but like I wouldn't be shocked if it just like gets like ripped out of their hands essentially. Yeah, they they go wild. Every time he comes out, it's like, oh my god. Yeah, I, that's actually one and of see, the things. I, th- I, I think mm-hmm. I think he looks like I don't know. I think everything, the look, the makeup, the weird tartan, like, skater boy look. To me, I'm like, you look like a dog. <laughs> yes. But the women love it. And look, it's an upgrade on Atsuki's pink hair. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. also um, uh, because his ring style also, like, improved a lot. And he's still, like, laying it in as well. Like, yes, he is mm. the pretty boy, but it's not, like, that results in him, like, working softer. He's like, working he's, if anything, he works yeah. harder, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. No, he's great. Uh, that's actually one of the things I'm looking forward to the most when going to Japan, is just seeing what like the merch lines look like at like the old Japan show and who has like the long like autograph lines and all of that. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, so let's go to the main event: Triple Crown. Yuma Aoyagi defeats Suwama in 22 minutes and 27 seconds with the Fool for a second defense. Uh, yeah, this was this was great. Uh, I went four and a quarter on this. Uh, yeah, it's just tremendous, tremendous match. Uh, I I bit on some of those near falls. Uh, <laughs> I because I I was like, oh my god, are they actually are they actually gonna have him lose to Sawama here? I was <laughs> dreading it, and I was like, oh god, I I've been praising them so much, and they've been doing so well, and then they just like fall back into old like bad habits. But no. They did not. In fact, uh, Yumayagi gets another win under his belt and he puts away Suwama. Um, this felt like either this is like the last triple crown challenge for Suwama, but it definitely is one of the last. Because I think that's also mm. kind of the feeling I got from like the uh, the video package they gave him before the before the match as well. Because it felt very like mm. nostalgic basically. Um but yeah, no, I, I thought like Suwama really like he really stepped up. Like he kinda like this was one of those times where he turned to back the clock a bit. And just mm-hmm. like he kinda mauled Yuma Eoyagi here a bit as well. 
but I think it's not like Yuma looked weak though. Like I think he just made a really good like champion defense, like coming back from underneath against just this like yeah, like I said, like this mauling bear basically where he like managed to survive him and then yeah. definitively put him away because it's not like he didn't pin him with like a banana peel or whatever. He got like a proper like good like closing stretch to like put him away definitively and like get another like really good win on that spell for this title reign. Yeah. No, I th- I thought this was brilliant. I went four and a quarter as well. Um Suwama Yeah, this is a Suwama we haven't seen in quite a while. Like the whole match, he was so good. Uh the video package, the the clip of him on the motorbike. <laughs> that I, that absolutely killed me. Just because the handlebars were so high, his like hands were like above his head. And I was like, that doesn't look like a comfortable way to ride a bike. Like, oh, have you have you not seen this motorcycle before? Uh, I've not seen it in a while. And I was just like, it just, I don't know. It made me laugh tremendously. Um, and then he's like laughing and joking about, you know, all the old times and stuff. Um, yeah, he was brilliant. Like, he was so good here where, like, the first 10 minutes, he's just, like, beating the shit out of Yuma. And then... Yuma like battles back and he's kind of got the speed advantage and kind of they get back on a level playing field and then he's able to put them away and it did feel definitive and it kind of felt like he had put away the previous generation. Yeah. That was the the chapter was closed. Um so yeah, it felt significant, it felt important. I was delighted they didn't pivot back to Suwama. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was just a really, really good match. Really well worked. Exactly what that match should have been. And Suwama had his working boots on and he was brilliant. Um, obviously, he can't do that all the time. And I, th- I think he probably has another couple of title challenges in him, but they're very much going to be, you know, putting someone over, you know. It's not, you know, it's going to be to put Yuma Anzai over. It's going to be to um, maybe to help Shitaro Ashino if, if he kind of gets back to that point. But it's not going to be, I can't see them doing him against Kento again, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I, it's hard to see unless there was some kind of disaster a, a reality where he's champion again. Um, so if that means he's a tag guy then that's absolutely fine because he's clearly still got it in him. Um, yeah, and he did the job here and he was he was brilliant. And yeah, Yuma proved that he belongs at this level, um, which the, the Amori match didn't because it was a very different kind of match, yeah. was this was one where it was like, you need to be top banana, and he was. So um, yeah, great, fantastic stuff and, and sets them up really well for the, the Royal Road now, which obviously will kind of tee up his next challenger. And I think it also really helped that he draw like drew like three really good houses back to back to back. Like I think that mm-hmm. just really like just increases that the, the like trust all Japan has in his strategy going forward. Oh yeah, 100%. Because who knows like what if these three houses would have been bad like maybe they take the title over from here. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean look I I don't know that he's going to hold it for that much longer. Um, because of the way I think they're gonna book, but he certainly proved that he belongs and he can draw as champion, which yeah. is important for going forward. Because 
they need him to be able to because if he can't they're stuffed (laughs) well they're stuffed until Anzai's ready yeah so we're just going to be a while exactly so yeah well done to the fool Mm -hmm. okay and then let's quickly because they announced the Royal Road participants uh, so let's quickly go over that and uh, and the first round matches and maybe like our thoughts who we think is going to be the overall winner. Um, so the participants and the first round matches, I think I'm just going to roll it into one because we're closing in on three hours now. Um, <laughs> so uh, the first round matches for the Royal Road 2023 are Dan Tamara versus Kotaro Suzuki, Shuji Ishikawa versus Ren Ayabe, Okuto Omori versus Takuya Nomura, Satoshi Kojima versus Rei Saito, Jun Saito versus Hayato Tamura, Suwama versus Fuminori Abe, Kento Miyahara versus Atsuki Eoyagi, and Yuma Eoyagi versus Ryuki Honda. So the first thing that I'm thinking when I'm looking at this is like I think Honda is gonna upset Yuma. Ooh. Because I don't think you wanna do Kento versus Yuma in the second round here. Like I think that's a match you're saving. And again, if Honda is challenging for the tag titles, I think giving him an upset win over Yuma year makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. And I feel like the I think there's two potential matches I see for the main for like the final of the show. It's I think Kojima is going to come out of his side of the blo- of the mm-hmm. tournament, and then I'm thinking the other side is either going to be Kento or Suwama. Okay, yeah. So my only reservation is that Honda beat Yuma in the Champion Carnival Mm -hmm. and the tag title match is scheduled for the night before. So, well, on the opening night of the tournament, that's the tag title match and then Yuma against Honda is the main event of second out of the tournament. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess Honda's not winning both. Like he's mm. going to win one, I guess. So I feel like they win the tag titles and then Yuma gets his win back the next night. Mm. Um, but that, in theory, in my head, it's a Kojima-Miyahara final. Miyahara gets his win back from the Champion Carnival. Mm. Miyahara then beats Yuma for the title in Yoyogi on the 8th of September. Mm. And then I think on the New Year's Eve show... They do Miyahara Nakajima, and Miyahara gets his win back. I could see that. I don't think Miyahara versus Nakajima needs a title. Uh, I think you can do that match with uh, without a title as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. part of me feels like they obviously want a big number for New Year's Eve. True, and Nakajima. Miyahara would definitely give them that. Oh, and yeah. They would be doing it in a bigger building in Yoyogi. So, look, I'm not opposed to I've... that. I'm not opposed to that. I will be there for that show. So, yeah. <laughs> if you give me Kanto versus Nakajima for in a Triple Crown match, I'm not yeah. going to complain too much. They're uh, definitely running it back. That. Well, the, the only alternative I could see would be Kojima maybe winning. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Champion Carnival. Aoyagi beats Kojima in Yoyogi, and then Ashino comes back from his broken mm-hmm. arm, and it's maybe the New Year's Eve show or, or before. Yep. 
is That's what Aoyagi, Ashino, and then Miyahara Nakajima underneath or mm-hmm. on top. You know, they're the, that's the kind of one-two punch. Um, so I think that's intriguing. Um, obviously, I mentioned before about Hayato Tamura and Jun Saito. That felt like a very deliberate booking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also imagine at least one of the astronauts has to win. So I'm assuming Takuya Nomura beats Amori. Yeah, I think um, it's safe. I guess the only and the other interesting thing is just that Shuji Ishikawa and Renai Abe have been teaming together basically all year, um, and now they're facing each other in the first round. So <laughs> that was obviously a cool thing as well. Um, but yeah, I think this is a really fun little tournament. I think one it's of refreshing. The best field, one of the best fields they've had for the mm. tournament as well. Yeah, there's no duds in it mm. for sure. And I also think it's really refreshing that obviously like the N1, the G1, they're very long and like you definitely kind of hit the wall of fatigue, Mm. uh, which is definitely where I'm at with the G1 at the moment. Whereas with this, it's literally four shows. Yeah. Like you're not going to get tired of it. It's four shows over the space of like eight days. Um, And there's a five day gap between the second round and then the the finals night. So it's like, you're not going to feel like, Oh my God, I'm behind. I can't keep up with it or whatever. Um, It feels like it's going to be really a nice tight tournament. All the matches I would imagine are going to be good at a bare minimum. And yeah, I think there's the chance for some of it to be to really, really good. And yeah, I guess that's the main thing is just, Miyahara and Nakajima is definitely happening happening again, the way the post-match went in their first match at One Night Dream. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely running it back, and my assumption yeah. is they're running it back in All Japan on New Year's Eve. So it's basically just, do you position Kento for the title so that it's a title match and Kento gets his win back defending the Triple Crown? Or do you let that run on its own and let Yuma continue this reign with the Triple Crown and, and basically pivot back to Ashino and possibly where you would have been in May if he hadn't broken his arm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really fun lineup. And even though it feels like there's an obvious kind of outcome, I think that it's still going to be intriguing to see the way that they go. Mm-hmm. So. And it also feels like there's really like. Because obviously Suwama has just gotten his Triple Crown match, right? Like, I don't think there's really, like, a wrong way to go here as well. No. So, like, I, I and I think that's, like, really nice. Right? Like, there's many, many, like, different outcomes here, and I think all of them, like, are potentially good. Well, other than a Saito v. Saito final. Obviously, that would yes, be good. Yes, but, like, that <laughs> I, I have very large doubt that's going to happen <laughs> i think if that did happen i'd never watch wrestling again so <laughs> i'm thinking what is like the least likely final here i think the way it's the got block... to be saito v saito no i'm saito thinking more like abe versus abe versus ayabe yeah or like yeah kataro suzuki against atsuki because then atsuki would probably have to beat kento Andy's brother <laughs> and Suwama. <laughs> this is the Yagi push is real. <laughs> yeah, it's like every bit of his body's fallen apart, and then there's like Kataro Suzuki's like, "Hello, just I want my win back." Three nights in a row. Yeah, he just wants his win back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess that would be funny as well. Um, 
Yeah, like, yeah, I think Ayabe against one of the yeah, against Jun Saito probably, but mm. um, yeah. But I, th- I, th- I just think it's a fun little tournament. Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah, obviously, I know Kento won it last year, um, so I don't know if they want him to win it again. But look, it's Kento. Like, yeah. if he wins and he wins the triple crown, I'm not going to complain. Because obviously, it also ties into the kind of long-term story with him and Yuma, and Yuma not really being able to to beat him. I know he beat him in the Champion Carnival. Um, it was last year? Uh, or am I wrong? I might be wrong on that. But um, I beat him this year. Oh, it was this year. Yeah, in um, the opener. Yeah, well, of course it was. Um, yeah, so obviously I know that's their story. So... If Yumi loses again, I think that's an interesting way to continue the story because he's still been to the mountaintop. It's not like he lost another title challenge. Um, because I think that then means that the next time they do it, he's definitely going to win. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I I don't think there's a wrong way to go. Um. And obviously, just delighted to see the astronauts getting bookings for this because they're the best. So yeah. no, they rock. Okay, so with that, uh, let's wrap things up. So uh, plug your things, please, uh, Andrew. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97. I'm not calling it X because I'm not a reprobate. <laughs> uh, and you can read my work at voicesofwrestling.com. Obviously, previewed Block B of the N1 uh, and also regular Impact Wrestling and MLW coverage. Uh, although I've committed myself to that, I don't really know that I want to watch a Mance Warner, Matt Cardona kiss my foot match, but <laughs> I probably will. Uh, and if I do, everybody needs to hear my takes. So yeah, that would be that'd be me. Voice of Wrestling, uh, the occasional wrestling tweet, or you can find me in the Voice of Wrestling Discord. And I'm also looking forward to meeting you in person later this month. This is very true. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, everybody congregating in the. Uh, uh, Eastern North London for All In and, and Rev Pro. Uh, can't wait to see Adam Cole, baby, and uh, MJF. But yeah, it should be it should be a lot of fun. It's going to be very cool to see so many people mm-hmm. kind of congregating in one place for one thing. And yeah, nice to meet you as well, good sir, after we've exchanged several hours of dulcet tones about uh, Lance Anawai and uh, Gleet. So. Yeah. And yeah, we'll be back. Um, we'll see uh, probably in two weeks where we'll have a lot of N1 and kind of the first. Well, most of the uh, Royal Road probably is done by then already as well. So um, yeah, uh, we'll see when we record next. At the very least, uh, sometime uh, in two weeks. So see you then. Hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. 
We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Critch and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.